Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And I'm Keith Isles, and we are both independent filmmakers who enjoy discussing movies and related topics. And uh, we wanted to do something really special for the end of 2016. So we do have, I'm very excited, we have a very special uh, episode in store for us because we have two very special guests from James Bond Radio. We have Tom and Chris from James Bond Radio. So welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell, guys. Thanks very much. You're making us blush with an introduction like that, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you guys, uh, I mean, we, we talk about James Bond quite often on these podcasts. He gets a mention. We've done a few episodes on Bond films. And, um, uh, you know, I've been listening to your podcast for about the last year. And uh, very entertaining it is too. And you have a massive following. So uh, I thought to myself it would be awesome if we could get you guys involved in our podcast and um, and and talk to you, so really, really, am honoured to have you on board, and and really excited about this. So all good stuff. Oh, um, thanks very much. Yeah, it's very a pleasure. Welcome. Absolute very pleasure. In, to kick off, what I'd like to do for the benefit of our listeners that might not be aware of James Bond Radio is. I wonder whether you could both give us a little bit of background on yourselves, what you do for a living, etc. Um, how you became interested in James Bond and a little bit about the podcast, please. Of course. Sure. Yeah. Shall, I, shall I go first, Chris, or do you want to go first? Yes. Yeah. No, go. Fire away. Then. Fire away. <laughs> All right, cool. um, so, yeah, um, I, for me with Bond, it's, uh, it's, I'm Tom, by the way, for anybody listening. Um, yes, um, for me with Bond, it was just something that was always in my life. It was like ever since I was a kid, I had an older brother who was bang into it. So the movies were always on in the house. Like I couldn't, it goes back so far, I couldn't even tell you what the first Bond film I ever saw was. It just, like, it just always felt like I'd always seen all of them. Um, and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. Um, at the minute, I live over in Bangkok. And uh, just podcasting with Chris every couple of weeks and and enjoying it. It's great, yeah. Um, from my point of view, actually, it mirrors Tom's quite a lot. Um, I've been pretty much a Bond fan ever since I can remember. And for me, it was my dad, like a lot of people, actually, that we speak to. How did you get involved with Bond and where did your fandom start? And a lot of people say, well, it was, you know, watching it with the family, particularly your dad, maybe on your bank holiday uh, weekend. Um, you'd stick on the Bond film or watch it on TV. Uh, and it was the same for me. And I remember... Um, Basically, every every sort of weekend, we'd pretty much watch one, uh, once we had him on VHS, obviously. Uh, and my dad, he's, he's Scottish, and he's a huge Connery fan, so we, I ended up watching, although I grew up in the 80s, I ended up watching the Connerys more than anything. And Thunderball, I assume it was the one that I probably watched first, but I can't say for sure, but it's definitely the one that I've seen a lot more than any of the others, at least back in the day. Um, yeah, and, and likewise, we, me, Tom and I met up about, when was it, Tom? It was 2008 at the Ian Fleming Centenary. Yeah. And, um, and we just happened to be sitting next to each other. Um, and we just got chatting during the show and then figured out how much of a Bond geek we both were and thought, well... But that's, that's the beautiful thing, because it's, it's... You know when you meet somebody who's a fellow geek about something and then there's always the testing of the water to see just how much of a geek they are? Because everybody loves Bond, do you know what I mean, to some level? And what it was that, that impressed me the most, and Chris will remember this, is they played 
Um, so it was the big Ian Fleming birthday event thing, 100th birthday. And they it was like a month before Quantum of Solace was due to come out. And they had a, a sequence from the film that hadn't been released or shown anywhere. And just a, a short clip that they played on the big screen. And then as they're playing it, I'm super excited, eyes wide, looking at it and, and enjoying it. And I look over at Chris next to me and he's got his thumbs pressed into his ears, his index fingers pressed into his eyeballs really tight and he's rocking backwards and forwards because <laughs> he just, he was so dedicated to not seeing anything from the film. And I was like, damn, this is a dude with yeah. commitment. That was, that was where I was started, yeah. God, that sounds like you, Keith. It, it does sound <laughs> like me, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, scarily so. Um, okay, so so would you say then, I mean, when we've talked about Bond, um, myself and Simon, we always sort of class ourselves as, as sort of second generation Bond fans in so much as we were born in the in the 70s and kind of grew up in the latter half of Roger Moore's tenure as Bond, if you like, and and, and sort of saw those films. And of course, like, like you guys saw the the repeats at Christmases and bank holidays and, and VHS and things of that nature. But um, what, what would you say you were? Are you like third generation or? I guess for me, it was, uh, it was always in my house and I always loved Bond. And then the, where it really, really caught fire for me was Goldeneye. So, so yeah, I, I guess so. If you would be second generation with Roger, then for me, it was, it was, it was always there, but like as soon as Pierce showed up, it was like, Balls deep in it, as I would say. Yeah, that, was, that was a turning point for me. <laughs> that's that's quite interesting. I've never really thought of it as generations, but I guess you could look at it in terms of decades, really. So if the 60s was the first, 70s the second, I guess then I'd be third generation, and Tom, that would make you fourth, I guess, if you're the 90s with, uh, with Pierce. But to be honest, I've never really kind of figured it that way just because all the other films have always been there. So I've not really thought about it in that aspect, but um, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of always been there. And uh, it's nice now to be able to sort of spread the love with so many sort of people that are into it as well, which is really cool. No, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I remember, um, you know, like you said, it's always been there. I remember when I was a kid, I think the, uh, the first one I was allowed to watch that was on television um was uh live and let die which which i know you often mention on on mm. on your uh, podcast with roger moore but it was one of these times when itv were doing a season of bond films and the following week they had goldfinger because obviously they they didn't play them in any sequence whatsoever and i remember saying to my dad i was incredibly confused how this different actor was was playing the same guy, and it was it was when I first you know then discovered that sometimes you know films have more than one actor playing <laughs> <laughs> playing a character, and I was kind of like, oh, that's you know that's weird, but uh, yeah, I was hooked from that point onwards. So um, yeah, big time. <laughs> I always remembered uh, the Bond films from the posters. I, I, the very first poster I remember was uh, for Your Eyes Only. Which was the one with Roger Moore? Those legs, of, yeah, pointing the gun up <laughs> yeah. towards the legs. I don't know what he was going to shoot, but you know, as a kid, you thought this was amazing. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, the octopusy uh, poster as well, with uh, with the woman behind him with the arms coming out and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, so I always sort of remember uh, the the posters um, more when I was when I was a kid than say uh, what order I watched them and stuff. Because when it was on TV, I would watch them and. My nan rented Octopussy for me when I was a kid. I remember it was Octopussy in Raiders of the Lost Ark. She rented one weekend for me. So 
Oh, what a, a good, good weekend. weekend. <laughs> God, that's a movie heaven weekend right there. <laughs> My nan has great taste. Yeah, yes. I mean, yeah, she certainly does. That's an interesting point about the posters because I think if you look at those, the ones you just mentioned, so you've got the mm. legs one in Fiori's only, you've got yeah. all the arms in Octopussy. Two years later, you've got Mayday and Bond back to back, which is quite striking, or the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. And do, do you think people who are kids growing up nowadays are maybe missing out on that? Because we've had a few posters with the Daniel Craig area, which some have been okay, but some have been quite bland and perhaps not as memorable as what we got to experience back in the day. What do you think about that? Well, um, I think that just goes for poster design generally because most posters are now done in Photoshop and not, it's not an artist actually painting or drawing them. So that kind of, um, artistry has kind of been lost in some sense so it is a case of you just get a photograph of the actor and you you know photoshop them or it's you know we see examples of posters now where it's like two faces and a bit of a scene and in the text or you know it's just the one person or yeah it's 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 very much a lost art. I mean, to think of like the film posters for, say, Raiders or uh, Temple of Doom, or Living the Living Daylights. I mean, I remember that one because it was um, it had like all the bits of action in the one poster. Yeah, yeah. And then, it's, it's, yeah. It's, sorry, just to butt in there, mm. but it's somebody phoned into our podcast recently and, and talked about that about Living Daylights being like the last great Bond poster. And it's like, it's such a shame they don't make them like that anymore because mm. like when I, th- we just reviewed A View to a Kill basically. And one of the things that really stands out for me in that is like that film doesn't get a lot of love because Roger was a bit older and all that kind of stuff or, or whatever. But like the actual, like the film is great. And it's like the, the marketing that went with that film, I would say is, is pretty iconic and outstanding. Mm. Like that image Chris mentioned about Bond and Mayday back to back, like that image was everywhere do you know what i mean and that's such a striking unique image to that film um and i remember some of the merch as well back in the day i don't know if you guys ever had one of these like the little red plastic clock that was from a view to a kill like it was almost like a toy clock that, that I saw that everywhere. It feels like everyone had one, but I was clearly... No, one, I, so. I, I, I sort of remember <laughs> these of uh, Corgi cars that used to come out for Bond. So, mm-hmm. you know, like the uh, Aston Martin or, um, oh, the car from um, The Spy Who Loved Me. The Lotus um, Esprit, yeah. 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 No, I, I had the Corgi toys, yeah. And I even had the Moonraker shuttle as well. There was a little Moonraker yes. shuttle. I had, that, I, I had that one too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah no i used to love it i mean you, you know bond is just yeah you know it's it's what made me i mean it's one of those films again we're always saying this on the podcast but it's one of those films along with like star wars and and raiders of the lost ark and et and whatever that got me you know into going and, and going to film school and studying to be a filmmaker um you, you know was was totally off the back of those films and bond was definitely a massive influence in there massive nice. so Excellent. you know we love it we love it yes. <laughs> That's yes, <yeah>. music <laughs> um, to our ears <laughs> indeed so tell us a little bit more before we go into sort of your picks for for movie heaven movie hell tell us a little bit more about um your podcast because i know I, I don't know how many episodes you're up to yet but it is an epic amount of feature length episodes on just yeah. bond 
related <laughs> stuff. So, so, so tell our listeners, and then hopefully you'll get a few more sub- subscribers off the back of this. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, it was. It's it's funny. We like when we because basically we met back in two thousand eight, like we said, and then it was it was kind of we just kept in touch over Facebook chat, basically, and you know sending messages back and forth. And like some of the like we played stupid games with each other on the podcasts. You know, like guess the quote and all that kind of stuff. And we'd be doing that to each other via Facebook just as like a private inbox conversation for literally years before we started the podcast. <laughs> and then it was it was a case of like, you know what, we should just to like as almost as an excuse to kind of keep in touch, we should just do a podcast. And we're like, all right, let's do it. And then um, we started off thinking, okay, well let's, you know, aim for like an hour. And then that ended up being an hour and a half, I think, for the first episode. And then it just sort of ballooned and it's kind of it's one of those things no matter how much we try and keep it short and be like you know let's just do two hours today it always ends up being three and i think it was like the spy who loved me we ended up going in i kid you not in one sitting it was like over five hours we were talking about the spy love me it was yeah. just ridiculous yeah that, that, that one nearly killed me that did it really did <laughs> that that was before we realized that with the movie reviews it's probably best to split them into parts rather than just yeah. doing one mega mega sort of long review but even at the start when going back there where tom when we were doing this and tom said you know what i think i think we should maybe make a podcast and my first reaction was what's a podcast and back then <laughs> I, I you know I, I kind of had an idea but didn't really know much about it and, and I remember us when we did our first sort of episode, we were going, oh, man, you know, I hope we get maybe like 10 people listening or something like that. We would be we were that was our aim is was to get 10 people listening. And um, and obviously these things take time, word of mouth and what have you. Uh, but it's just, you know, it's just steadily got bigger and bigger, which has obviously been really great. And in terms of the length of the episodes, like Tom says, sometimes it's it's. It is a mission. And, and we've done almost sort of um, we, we've questioned the listeners and we sort of said, you know, because some people do come on and they say, you know, this is great, but it's too long. I, I, I want I want a 30 minute podcast if I want a podcast. And part of us were thinking, well, hang on a minute. It's you can't appeal to everyone because everyone's got something that they want and, and then everyone's sort of different with with what they mm-hmm. want to receive. So we basically put the question out there. And I think 90 percent, probably 95 percent of people were basically saying the more the merrier you know if they're on a long car journey if they're you know working in the garden whatever they want to listen to as much as possible and you get the odd few that don't but then they can always you know listen to a segment and then come back later or something like that so it's been an interesting sort of avenue of how that's um progressed i think the thing yeah, with that well, as well is, is, is we did we did a thing called 30 Days of Spectre where when cool. Spectre came out, we literally did a podcast every day for a month just talking about Spectre. And um, those episodes were like, the shortest ones I think were like 20, 30 minutes. And we were doing like a very specific part of the film each time. Some of them were like over an hour or whatever, but it was it was just more of an exercise of, of what to do. And, and the people who were saying we want a shorter podcast really kind of tended to kind of lock in with those. But then when we look at our actual download numbers, the weird thing is the longer the episodes are the more downloads they get so it's like it's i guess it's just you can listen to that sort of small group who say we want something shorter but it's like ultimately we're going to keep making things for the people who are really dedicated to listening those like core people who will if we made a 10-hour podcast would still listen to all 10 hours do you know what i mean so um it's it's a counterintuitive what you might imagine but you know it's it's the way it's worked out for us really yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, how how many subscribers have you currently got? Do you, do you have any idea of that? 
No idea. No, you don't. They don't give you subscriber numbers. All you get is is download numbers. How many downloads? So we upload. Um, so it's uploaded through all the usual podcast places, iTunes and all the different podcatchers and stuff. And then we upload a video version to YouTube as well. Um, and we've just, in total, we've just gone over half a million downloads through the, the sort of the audio-only iTunes kind of route. And I think we're nearly at a quarter of a million views on, on YouTube. Um, and it all just depends. Like, it, in terms of, like... The episodes themselves, it's like it can. It just totally depends what we're talking about. Like, if, for example, like we'll make an episode where we review the book Colonel Sun, which isn't obviously like you know a Goldfinger or something. It's like only the real hardcore fans would know what Colonel Sun is, and that would get like a, you know maybe three or four thousand downloads or something, and then the most popular ones would get like ten thousand or something like that. So it's, it just totally varies. Totally what we're talking, about, whatever the topic is for that particular week, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we have the same thing. We um we're on like iTunes and uh, YouTube and stuff. And on iTunes, the the podcast that's always at the top is our one on script writing, where we interview the mm. scriptwriter. Yeah, on YouTube, our most popular one is uh, an episode we did on Miami Vice. <laughs> right. <laughs> so there's no correlation yeah. between the two. There's there's no end to our level of geekness, is there? Yeah. To, but uh, I remember I found you guys through um, myself and Simon had started doing the podcast, and uh, I I just did a, a little search on the podcast app on my phone uh, under James Bond, and uh, you guys came up, and I was like, "All right, let's 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 have a let's have a butch at this," and um, <laughs> uh, you, you know, so so got into it that way. But I'll tell you what, I want to give um, a, a quick shout out and a thank you to uh, a friend, a good friend of mine who I know will be listening to this. Uh, my good mate Tony, who's a massive Bond fan. Uh, we've been friends for years, and we bonded over Bond, literally. You know. <laughs> um, and he, he and I, uh, earlier in the year, we went to Piz Gloria to um, uh, to check out, you know, the the, the revolving restaurant and whatever nice. from Honor Majesty's Secret Service, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, do a bit of hiking and all that sort of stuff. And um, while we were there, I I told him about James Bond Radio, and I said, look, they they, they got this whole episode that goes into massive detail on on Her Majesty's Secret Service. And he 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 listened to it and sort of subscribed to it. And I mean, he's been even more religious than me, I think, in the <laughs> fact that he went right back to the beginning and is he, he's working through every episode and wow. watching the movie uh, relating to each one, which I'm kind of envious of because I haven't sort of <laughs> had the time to do that yet. Um, but he he actually um, was the one who organized and invited me to cue the music uh, a oh, couple of weeks yeah. ago. And it was that event that made me think, you know what, I'm going to email these guys and see if I can get you on the podcast. So really, I've, I've kind of got Tony, my mate Tony, in a, in a roundabout way to thank for this. So, uh, <laughs> shout, out <laughs> Tony, the, yeah. shout out to Tony. Yeah, shout out to Tony. Nice one, Tony. music was amazing. Amazing. It's such a, it's, and that was the first time you'd heard of them, was it? Music. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah. The, the, the thing is, I thought to myself it was so bizarre because that weekend um, – that the night before I had gone to the Barbican Center with my composer friend, Neil Myers, um, to see John, well, to see the, the, the um, London Symphony Orchestra performing all of the John Williams uh, music. And nice. 
you, you know, because obviously they 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 were the ones that scored all that stuff uh, with him. And he did like little video intros to each track, and you know they had all the classics. So, but that was a big event at the at the Barbican Centre, you know, massive. And then the following day, uh, we drive to Fleet, and you know, walk into this like sort of town village thing and it looked like the way it was let out it looked like it was going to be some sort of school play or something you know <laughs> and i was like this is really quite bizarre uh, but when they when they started i mean considering that this this orchestra are uh, probably a quarter of the size you know of the orchestra john barry would have had um mm. it they sounded absolutely amazing i mean it was incredible and they did you know that they they went through the full spectrum. I mean, they said, and and they they did say that the only one they weren't going to do, and and we all say <laughs> yes, absolutely, is is Madonna's Die Another Day. But they did also actually miss Shirley Bassey's Moonraker and Ruta Coolidge's All Time A High from Octopussy. But other than that, they did everything, and my God, it was fantastic. So, um, <laughs> They're yeah, a it, proper it, load it, of rubbish, that band, aren't they? Awful. <laughs> 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 well, I, I, I said on a recent podcast, you know, had I not been a filmmaker, I'd have loved to have been a musician, um, yeah. but I'm not musically talented in any way, shape or form. So, you, you know, I was to say I was impressed was was a, 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 a mini understatement. You know, you know what, though? <laughs> that, that's what makes that band so special. And I don't think you get it until you actually see it live. But I think what it is is and Warren says this Warren's the you know the, the main man behind Q the music is it comes from a genuine place of love do you know what I mean oh and totally it, the way yeah. he arranged like you were saying they're obviously a smaller band than what John Barry would have had but like he arranges all those tunes to still give that power like he's basically arranged that band so you still get the the balls that you would get with a full orchestra and stuff but with a, with a smaller band and it's it's one of those things when we first were going to go see them it was both of us were a bit like, oh man, I, I hope it's good because you never know. Do you know what I mean? And it, it would have been awful if we'd have got there and they'd have been a bit ropey and we'd have had to have been like, oh yeah, it was great. But it was it was crazy. The first time we saw them play, it was just literally head to toe, goose pimples, like chills down your spine. And uh, and I, there's a couple of times there where I, I like teared up a little bit. I don't know, they just tap into something emotional with the music. Oh, definitely. Does yeah, it. yeah. It's, it's, you just like... You know, and for me, if I was a, a Bond fan at home listening to me talk about that, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. They're probably not that good. But then when you just get in the room and you see it, you, you've just got to you've just got to experience it in the room. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. if anybody hasn't seen them, make sure you get tickets. when you no, see I'll, I'll definitely I'll definitely get Simon. I'll get you along to one of these for sure. Yeah. Um, when yeah. I mean, this was a surprise that, you know, to, as I said, my mate Tony, who, who we bonded over Goldeneye, actually. That, that was nice. the first film we nice. saw. And I remember we said we had goosebumps before that started. But um, but w w when uh, the, the thing that properly got me, um, if you like, emotional in that way, you know, at, at the cue, the music was I'm a big fan of um, uh, after John Barry. For me, the, the, the next great Bond composer for me is David Arnold. And yeah. um, I was a massive fan of Tomorrow Never Dies. Mm -hmm. And when he did a backseat driver, 
Uh, you, you know, when, when they actually played that track, I was like, oh, this is fantastic. I sort of forgave them for not doing Moonraker because they did Backseat Driver. What you know? a tune. <laughs> what a tune. Absolutely. I was like, oh, my God, that's awesome. <laughs> I, I have a question for everybody. Uh, what do you think of the state of the current uh, theme tunes for Bond? I mean, the Daniel Craig era, the theme tunes haven't been... I wouldn't say uh, on the level as say we had with like Sean Connery and Roger Moore or even sort of Roger Daltrey and some of Pierce Brosnan's stuff. Roger Daltrey? When did Roger he play Bond? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> that's all right. I can edit this out. I mean, out. that's a Bond film I'd like to see. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> um, At least you get to edit these, Simon. So, yeah, you, you, you can either choose to leave that fumble in there or for a laugh or edit it out. It's up to you, isn't it? <laughs> uh, Good question, though. Yeah, definitely. Good question. I think, well, from my point of view, actually, I'm a huge fan of all of the Craig Bond theme songs. And, and I go against quite a lot of opinion i suppose but i think i you know my name is an absolute belter of a song yeah I mean, that yeah. The, the energy in it the the vocals in it is just amazing and that was perfect for casino royale it really was i'm a huge fan of skyfall i think i mean that's obviously done well that song is filled with so much emotion i think adele's amazing and it fit again it fits the film brilliantly um now, with Another Way to Die and Writings on the Wall, both of those are, are heavily divide opinion with, with people everywhere. Um, and I sit on the side of, uh, of both of them and I really enjoy them. Like Another Way to Die, I find it difficult to see how some people don't like it because to me it just sounds so much like a Bond film. Um, and Writings on the Wall, I know a lot of people have, have a go at, at Sam Smith um, but I think the the musical arrangement in Writings on the Wall is brilliant. And if if a female vocalist had performed it, I don't think it would have had anywhere near as much flack as as what it's had. But um, yeah, I'm actually a, a big fan of all four. I know, and I'm not I'm not just saying that, but I am actually a big fan of all the all four Daniel Craig songs. I t- I tell you what I think it is, and it's like it's there's always that danger, isn't there, when you do something new for something that's been around for so long. And it's so easy to say, oh, well, it's not up there with Goldfinger because Goldfinger has been in our bloodstream ever since we were born. It's always been there. It's always been a classic. So it's almost like untouchable. And I think the danger is, is not trying new things and just being like a pastiche of that. You know what I mean? You could easily trot out some like lounge singer to sing like a a Goldfinger or a Thunderball-esque tune. And it would just get a bit silly after a while. And I think... What you have to do to keep something alive is try new stuff. And it's like, for me, I'm exactly the same. When I first heard um, You Know My Name, I was like, what on earth is this? I wasn't expecting that at all. And then within a couple of months, it's one of my all-time favorite themes. And I think that's, for me, anyway, that's that's the... Um, the writings on the wall as well. When I first heard it, that intro was like perfect. And everybody, when they, they released like a little teaser of it on Instagram the day before, and everyone across the whole internet was like totally on board with it. They were like, oh wow, it sounds proper classic, proper classic. And then when they released the tune, everyone was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and there was this huge backlash. But I think what it is for me is it's like, you've not had that sound in Bond before, you know? It's like, the it's, I mean, to me, I listen to Ryan's on the wall and all that, stri- if you listen to it as an instrumental, it's 
unmistakable bond. I think the biggest complaint comes from the fact that it's, you know, it's they just don't like the voice of the man who sings it. Do you know what I mean? I think that's what it is. And like Chris said, I think if you'd have had, you know, a female vocalist, what it is, it's a very feminine and tender vocal sung by a dude. And I think knowing how, like, masculine the first two Daniel Craig songs were, I think it was just a little bit of a disconnect for people. And I think if a woman had sung that, there would have been no complaints whatsoever. Mm. I don't know. What, what do you two think? My point of view is that uh, the Bond films have always tried to stay uh, current with the time. So the singers that they used have always been people that were well known at that time. So like uh, Lulu uh, doing Mad- her Madonna, Madonna, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and um, and so it's it's something that's it's always sort of been part of part and parcel of the Bond films. And I I mean I totally agree with you guys when when you take the uh, singer out of it and it's just the orchestration it it always sounds great it always sounds like bond uh but sometimes the, the choice of singers um i think you, you just think oh maybe if they'd gone somewhere else or with somebody else it might have been better i mean i remember when um i, I think lana del rey was name was being pushed around at the time mm. for specter and i would have been quite interested to hear what she would have done yeah me too just because i i liked what she did for uh great gatsby i liked that song she did for it and so yeah uh i mean i was not a big fan of the this uh, the song for for specter but it was only because of the choice of singer um i I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we got, and <laughs> we got them <laughs> with it. So, <laughs> so you don't know really if um, if another, even if it was another male singer doing it, if it would uh, would have been the same. But um, yeah, it's not. I mean, it's for me when I have like the greatest hits CD. It's kind of like. Um, Tina Turner's kind of like the last great one for me. And then when it was Sheryl Crow, skip that track. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with Chris on this one, I have to say, because from my point of view, uh, I I, I actually love all the the ones they've had for for Daniel Craig. Um, Even it it did take me a while to get used to, you know... um, uh, Alicia Keys and 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 Jack White, you know that one took took a little while for me to uh, to warm to. Um, but actually, writings on the wall, um, you know, that did it for me. From the first time I heard it, I was like, "Wow, yeah. this is this is great, and this is proper Bond." And 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 you know, I I, I mean, I, I love all of them, with 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 the possible exception of the Madonna one, believe it or not, is uh, is good. But I'm actually more fussy. Um, the, the the theme tunes are what they are, but I'm a real big score man. You know, mm. it, for me, it's 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 always very much about the score. And uh, obviously, you, you know, John John Barry sort of set the standard with with the Connery films, and then of course with Roger Moore, John Barry kind of did every other one, and then you'd have a sort of popular guest composer on the films in between. Um, you know, with sort of various levels of success, but. Uh, me and Tony, who I've pre-mentioned, we always have the same kind of argument as uh, you and T- Chris and Tom do, in so much as I have a real problem, even though I think that Tina Turner's um, song for GoldenEye is, is amazing, but I have a real problem with the GoldenEye score. 
a massive oh, yeah. problem with the golden yeah, eye score. And uh, Tony always tells me, oh, no, you know, they were they were being, uh, y- y- you know, progressive and trying something new like they do with, you know, like they have with, with others. But for me, out of all of them, that's the score that works the least, um, even though yeah. I like it as a score in its own right. I mean, I love all the work Eric Sira has done with Luke Besson. And mm. I think and, you know, I, I think part of. I honestly believe sometimes part of Tony's enjoyment of that is, you, you know, when, when GoldenEye was out and we went to see it, and I mean, this was a big deal because Bond hadn't been on the cinema screen for six years and it was Pierce and, you know, he was cool and all this sort of stuff. Um, we used to have the, the CD soundtrack and play it all the time um, and, you know, kind of got into the soundtrack from from just listening to it. But I actually believe in with the movie it doesn't work. And the cues that I like are actually the cues that Eric Sura didn't do um, in the movie, you know, with the tank chase and, and, and stuff like that. And I think one of the reasons I was so disappointed about that is the teaser trailer for Goldeneye, where, where it used to put yeah. up, um, you know, it's a new world with new enemies and new allies, but we can depend on one man. And he says, you know, you're expecting somebody else. And then they go into this electric guitar riff of the Bond theme and, 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 and the, like sort of um, a slow bit when they were putting over the credits and stuff. I was hoping that that's what the music of, of Goldeneye was going to be like. And, and, and it didn't turn out like that. So sorry, I've gone off on a massive tangent about <laughs> this, but it's no, been no. in my mind for a while. So yeah, it's, I've heard it's Tom. funny. <laughs> it's funny you should say that because uh, one, we, we have a roving reporter called Matthew Chernow who lives over in LA and he went to an event uh, just last week with John Altman who scored the tank chase sequence in Goldeneye. Right. Yeah. Uh, and he was Which very, worked. very, which, yeah, well, <laughs> he was very candid about why he was brought on. And apparently behind the scenes, nobody was happy with the Eric Serra score. And it was very much of a, a last minute thing of like Eric Serra's delivered this thing, which is a disaster. And like this, the main set piece of the film with the Chang Chase is just, it's just not going to work. And they drafted him in literally a week before the film came out. I think he recorded it on the Monday and the film was due to come out that Friday. Um, if you go over to our, our website, jamesbomradio.com, you'll be able to see all of his interview quotes on there that Matthew made for us. He made a whole article about it. It's really interesting reading. Uh, following on from that then, guys, I've got a question for you. Um, obviously, looking at the soundtracks, what is your opinion of the recent Thomas Newman? So, obviously, with Spectre mm-hmm. and with Skyfall. Now, you mentioned David Arnold being quite a fan of that. So, what's your opinion of Thomas Newman? Uh, I'm not. I mean, I think Spectre was better than Skyfall, um, but I'm not. I mean, you, you know, this is one of the things where... You know, usually the DOP, the production designer and uh, the, the, the editor and the composer are, are the only sort of people that um, each new director is allowed to sort of have some influence with who they work with. And of course, um, Thomas Newman, who is a fantastic composer, I will caveat, um, is, is obviously always works with Sam Mendes. But uh, I, I'll be honest, for me, um, I, I, thought the, I, I thought it was definitely an improvement with Spectre. Um, but when I, when I originally heard the, uh, um, the Skyfall soundtrack, uh, I just didn't think, I did, it, same criticism I had with Eric Sira to an extent, uh, although not quite as bad, but um, was they just didn't use the Bond theme enough. I felt that it wasn't in there enough, you know, the, the, these, you know, like, like, like with back to, to, to Goldeneye, the bit, the pre-credit sequence where he pulls the plane up over the dam 
there was no there should have been a that bond riff in there you know and it wasn't mm. so uh yeah they, they they sort of made that more subtle i guess but um yeah, I, I, personally, I'm I'm not so much of a Newman fan myself. What about you, Simon? Uh, well, I have to say the 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 scores for me were a little bit forget forgettable. Um, you know, it's uh, I I think back of what David Arnold did for Casino Royale because throughout that uh, film. You know, by the end when he is he's become Bond, he earns the soundtrack, and you've and, oh totally, and, and I just mm. love that. So, and that was something that was never really sort of looked back on in the other when going forward from there. It was only seems to be for that film that um, the sort of soundtrack was so kind of in sync with the story. This whole sort of building Bond up, getting the ingredients together, which included the music. And um, yeah, it's, it's uh, well. I mean, I'm just trying to think of what the music was in in those two films. The opening pre-title sequence for Spectre. The music to that, I think, is superb. It's so so yeah. high tempo, and the the actual pre-credits. I, I I'm a big fan of. You know, mm. obviously with the day of the oh, dead festival time. and everything. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, so that is proof that this guy can score and he can score really well. But I do agree that occasionally, in fact, I'm pretty sure um, he was in an interview and and one of his answers to a question was that the music should almost be there un, undetectably. So almost it doesn't sort of shout what out to the he, what audience. What he said mm. is it should service the scene and then be instantly forgotten. That, yeah. That's his whole angle he comes <laughs> from, which to me it just is just the total opposite of what you that, should be aiming for. Yeah, well, yeah. That's his thing, yeah. Yeah, if you're, think, if you're thinking, sorry, if, if you're thinking about John Barry, you can think about a five seconds of pretty much any John Barry cue and straight away you've got the movie in your head because it's so so memorable and so succinct to what is happening on the screen at the time. And I mean, he was obviously a genius at being able to do that, but it'd be nice to get sort of maybe scores like that sort of in the future again. Yeah. The thing with Thomas Newman, I think as well, is he does, he's not the most melodic composer in the world. Like if you, if you look at David Arnold, you look at John Barry, there's, there's little melodies that he'll bust out through the score. Like Chris says, will instantly take you into the scene. Like you think of Wynton Kid Sting, for example, it just like sounds like mischief and you've got it playing on a flute or whatever. And every time that theme kicks in, you know, there's going to be some shenanigans going on on screen, you know? Um, and I think with Thomas Newman, he just doesn't have a lot of melody in there at all. It's all very rhythmic. And like, for me, there's, there's, he has one good piece on both scores. Like the, the day of the dead sequence, I love, I think that's great. And in Skyfall is the the one you're on the ship on the way to um, Silver's Island, Chimera. I think the track's called. Mm-hmm. That's a great one as well for me. But like, it's there's you can't really lock in with any melodies. And I mean, it, again, it's just a different style, I guess. But for me, for a Bond score, I, I kind of want more than that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think this is where movies are. I was having a conversation with one of my composer friends about exactly this. Is you, you, you know. Um, the, the sort of John Barry, John Williams, Jerry Goldsmith era of, of film scores was about having melodies and having themes for every single character in the film and, and you know, things of that nature. Whereas nowadays that it's more vogue to be, you know, to have less theme and be more, like you said, rhythmic and, 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 subtle i guess in terms of the scores but uh 
but but you, you know I, I, there are arguments for and against each i i guess but mm. certainly in a bond film i do expect to um part of bond for me is 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 the theme i mean it is it is such an important theme in the history of uh, you, you know you know music scores in general and it and it defines the character and yeah i like to hear it you know, I, I, as soon as it kicks in, I get goosebumps. Literally, you know. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, exactly. If you take the uh, if you take the theme tune from uh, the Christopher Reeves Superman, and then you take the theme tune from Man of Steel, you know. There you go. It, yeah. You know, it, it, I I worry for kids because the end of the day, when I was a kid, when you were playing a character, you were doing the music. So you know, if you were mm. Superman, it's like da 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 da. You know, <laughs> Indiana Jones, you were doing the Raiders March. Yeah. And now with like Superman or Batman, it's yeah you can't you, you do yeah, yeah. It, they, they've got a case of the Hans Zimmer's you yes. know which yeah. which which is crazy to think because he did a wonderful score for Gladiator, great score, yeah. and yet since yeah. then it's just you know you know it's just yeah. ah yeah it's a bit it's so annoying and I, I hope Hans Zimmer never does a Bond. Uh, soundtrack. Oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's it's <laughs> funny, isn't it, how, how times change and stuff? Because it's like the, the the fashionable thing these days is to have in the trailer. I mean, to be honest, I thought the, the trailer music for Spectre was way better than the, the, the music that we got in the actual film. Uh, obviously, we had a little blast of Under Majesty's Secret Service in there, which was great. But um, like, it, it, there's so many like the, the fashionable thing to do now is if you've got a big franchise movie, is to do like a little xylophone version of the theme tune so like you'll see a star wars trailer and you'll get oh ding, yes they do it for all of them do you know what i mean and yeah. it's it's like that's i suppose things go in in kind of waves a little bit but man we need to bring back some melody in these in these scores and like actually have some memorable scores like you say you, you think of the new superman theme and to me i can't even remember it you know and it's the same with the batman ones as well i can't even remember it Bring back yeah. dinner, 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 Batman. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> ah, a whole nother podcast, right? <laughs> well, I mean, we do have the Lego Batman movie, so fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, you never know. You never know. Well, listen, guys, I'm conscious that we've, we've already, and it seems like no time has gone at all, but we've already been talking for 45 minutes, and I, I, I've not asked you uh, what your... So who's going to go first? Is it going to be Tom, did we say? Yeah, go for yeah. it, Tom. So, yeah. Tom, what is your pick then for Bond movie heaven? Without a shadow of a doubt, and it does, I say without a shadow of a doubt, but it does wobble occasionally. My pick is without a shadow of a doubt, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Yay! Okay. Um, the wobble that it comes with is Casino Royale. But it's for me. It's kind of it's so classic, and it's it's kind of I don't know. Honor Majesty's is just a magical Bond film for me. It just hits all the spots. Uh, I love George. I, I mean, that score doesn't get any better. It's my favourite score as well. Um, and it's like I don't know. It's just like that that movie that was so brave for to come along after Connery's left. And you think about you think about what the world would have been like at the time of like oh you can't have James Bond without Sean Connery. And then this unknown dude comes in, and instead of like being like, okay, let's do a by-the-numbers Bond film. Like, let's remake You Only Live Twice to introduce the new guy. It's so brave that they end it with Tracy dead in the seat next to him. And, like, I mean, think of that ending, how that must have felt in the cinema back in 69. Like, such a brave move to do and such a brave move to have a completely unknown dude in there. Um, 
love it. I love everything about it. Yeah, it, it is. It is one of the. I often say to people when they talk about you know the Bond films and who's the best Bond and all this, and I said, you know, it's a really awkward one because even though George Lazenby for many, you know, may not have been the best Bond, and and obviously you, you know there was his shenanigans offset, which is you know nothing to do with the film, obviously, yeah. but. Um, uh, you, you know, even though he might not have quite had the the the, the charisma um, and acting chops of, of Connery, um, that there's there's no doubt about it. In terms of the story, it is probably the most important Bond film in the entire franchise. So you, you know, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think that the thing with with the, the kind of the Lazenby angle on that is, yeah, of course, you know, he's not got the acting jobs that Connery had, you know. But for me, when you look at that dude as a man in real life, like the like for people who don't know the story, I'll briefly run through it. They were searching for the new Bond, doing um, auditions all over the place, couldn't find anybody, and he just literally barged into the office at Ian Productions and was like, "I hear you looking for James Bond." He previously gone out and got the suit and the haircut and all that kind of stuff and was just like just sort of barged his way in with like an arrogance that he says is what kind of won in the role you know when they did like a test a screen test for a fight scene he actually connected and punched the stunt man and laid him out on the floor and there's just like a, a danger to him do you know what i mean it's like there's okay yeah he wasn't the most you know accomplished actor in the world but there was that real streak in him that i think is what got him the role in the end um and that sort of, I mean, if you ever hear Jake George Lowe's in an interview, he's just always talking about shagging, left, right, and center. He <laughs> loves it. Always. Every time it comes up. Which like, fits you can't Bond get through perfectly. an interview. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. There you go. And it's like, okay, you know, he might sound a bit uncouth from time to time, but but he's got that DNA in him, you know? And I think that's why, in like, when you see him on screen in, in Majesties, there's that, there's that sort of playfulness in him. That like you know when he's up on in Peace Gloria and he's going through the different rooms and sleeping with all the different girls and stuff. It's like there's George in that, and mm. obviously Bond as well. And I, I, I think that's where it comes together for me. And I love him as Bond. I think he did a great job, especially considering he he just not acted before. Um, yeah, it, it was the Sir Hilary Bray part that he'd struggled with a bit, wasn't it? Course, I mean, the, yeah. the, the the Bond stuff was was great and I mean he looked the part and he was great at all the physical stuff absolutely yeah. but um uh you know you know it was uh well he's, he's famously dubbed isn't he for the um Sir Hillary scene yeah that, that was a shame absolutely but for, for me I would take George in Majesties the, the George's Bond in Majesties over Sean's You Only Live Twice any day of the week like there's that's chalk and cheese for me when you see that fight scene on the beach at the beginning like that dude is in physical, like his physical prime. He looks amazing in that beach scene. And it's just like, that's, if you're going to have a new bond, you're going to refresh the whole thing. Like that's what you need in there, you know, to, to like really bring it up to date for that time. Yeah. I mean, I think it's always weird when you sort of, uh, when you're sort of born after this and you sort of grow up and, and this history's already happened. And, you, you know, like you said at the beginning, I, I cannot imagine what the, you know, particularly to the end of the film, what the audience reaction must have been. I mean, you, you, you know, it's it's it, it it just sort of blows you away, and um, you know, it is so strong, and you, you know, uh, they've got actually, um, you know, at the whole Piz Gloria thing, they they've actually got like a sort of Bond museum there, um, 
and, and that's fascinating to go around and 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 you know read and, and see all the props and and you know hear this sort of this story and uh yeah yeah i think the other thing about it as well is like a lot of people say you know oh that would be the ultimate bond film if you had sean connery in honor majesties but for me that's i don't i don't i don't think sean could have done it's crazy as it sounds i don't think sean could have done a good job as, as george did like i never you could never imagine sean's bond being vulnerable like like george's at the end of majesties like he's cradling tracy in his arms and he's genuinely gutted and he he did that scene perfectly oh he did yeah like i mean I, i'd say the only other bond that would have a hope in hell of reproducing that would be daniel i think he, he'd have a good shot but like he did that perfectly and i can't see sean pulling that off as well and like for me if you could say you know wave your harry potter wand and have your ultimate bond dream my ultimate bond dream would be to have george make what would have been his diamonds are forever like i would give anything to have been able to see that film yeah, I mean, well, this is the problem. I mean, if you had had Sean in that, I mean, you know, I, I used to, I used to be one of those people that used to say exactly what you're arguing against, actually. And I used to think, mm. say, oh, imagine how great uh, Honor Majesties would have been if it, if it had been Sean in the role. But on, on reflection, you're right. I mean, by that point, by the end of um, uh, You Only Live Twice, you know, he 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 was he was a bored Sean, you know. He was yeah. he was really fed up with it all. So would it, would that performance, you know, you could tell he was already getting fed up in in um, uh, on Her Majesty's. Yeah, uh, sorry, um, uh, in uh, uh, you only live twice. So mm. imagine imagine that feeding through, and then of course by the time you get to um, I, I've said this before, by the time you get to Diamonds Are Forever, which is my least favourite of the Sean Connery films. Yeah. Um, you, you know, he really is starting to look a bit old and out of shape. And I actually think, ironically, he looked better in Never Say Never Again than he did in <laughs> yeah. Diamonds Are Forever, you know, which was 12 years later or whatever yeah. it was. So, um, but, uh, yeah, it, it is interesting. What, what, what are you, Chris and uh, Simon, you, you're being kind of quiet. What do you guys think? <laughs> well, I, I must admit, this is one of the Bond films that I've never seen all the way through. I've always, wow. I, I, wow. it's it, it's one of those that I always catch bits of it on TV. I it, it, I always sort of come into the middle of it, so I, I I know everything you're talking about, but I've never had the chance to sort of see it from beginning to end. Right. Well, I have the Blu-ray, mate, so I will absolutely <laughs> loan you it. You need to sort it out right now. Treat yourself. I mean, it is such a fucking great film from start to finish. So. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I sorry, I didn't realise you hadn't seen yeah, it. But we've, um, I we've just we've just said one or two spoilers on it. So just just like blank everything that we said over the last like half an hour. But as Keith is quite right, it is one of those films that really affects every other film that comes after it. Because I know about Tracy Bond and you know the, the wedding and her being shot and everything. I've seen. I've, I've that's that's the one bit I always get to see. Uh, <laughs> that's always the one bit that always seems to be on. Uh, but it's just the the whole sort of watching it from beginning to end. I've 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 not done. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, whenever I think of uh, Tracy Bond, I always think of Roger Moore standing by a grave at the. Uh, the beginning of uh, for your eyes only exactly yeah 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 what, what about you chris so i'm sure if, you've got strong feelings on yeah, this one well if i had been asked first um i would have jumped in there and i would have actually gone with majesties as well um it's 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 such a tricky question and i think 
potentially the answer can change over time. In fact, it does change over time. At various various times, if you had asked me, I might have said from Russia or Goldfinger, Thunderball, um, or another film, which I am about to say. Um, but <laughs> since we've been doing the podcast, we've kind of tried to review the films with fresh eyes, almost as if we haven't seen them before, which, as you can t- you can imagine, is incredibly difficult. Mm. But going back and, and, and looking at the minutiae of Majesties, there's just so so much brilliant stuff in there, and it and it's 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 laid throughout the whole film. It really is, and I know everything that Tom was saying about Lazenby, and it, I I think he's he is so underrated. If he had done more than one film, the slack that he gets would not be there. It's purely on the base that everyone's opinion is well, he's done one film because he's crap, and uh, and it was he him that was told not to come back rather than his his own idea to choose not to come back and pretty much you're the run of the mill person that's what their thought is which is completely the opposite of what happened um but yeah i mean i i I think he was brilliant and he does a lot of humor and that that goes overlooked he is really good with some humorous one-liners in majesties and that often gets overlooked um and and you know you can't say you can't give him you know the fact that he's not acted before you can't say oh well he did a good job because he's not acted before which is true but that shouldn't be an excuse and it's not because he if you didn't know that about him you wouldn't think that when you watch him on screen well personally i wouldn't anyway because he does bring so much and particularly screen presence me and tom often say this there's a scene early on in majesties where he's walking into the casino and he owns it. Oh, he yeah, owns he totally that owns scene it. Yeah, so yeah. much. Um, you know, he's walking down, and it's and it's all this lavishness. And you know that any woman in that room, he could just take up with them upstairs. But it's just a presence, and you need that if you're going to play Bond. You need a screen presence, and Lazenby definitely had that. So I'm yeah. I'm hundred percent behind. Uh, majesties for sure he, he, he probably did take the women as well the <laughs> bastard but there you go um but but no i mean i i think one of the one of my issues has always been and this is just a a, a key thing with 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 film franchises in general is what what always disappointed me um from a sort of continuity point of view is, is you know i always tried to sort of watch the 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 connery um, stroke Lazenby bonds as as you know one sort of uh, continuous thing of, of of adventures following on from each other, and I think the, the the sad thing that happened was the fact that they got them out of order in terms of what they were going to do with the with the books. Yeah. Um, they kind of got them out of order, and of course the thing that lets it down, and they didn't sort of make any allowances in the script for this, is the fact that obviously in um, you only live twice. Bond famously meets Blofeld, and okay, they're both completely different actors. You've got, you know, Donald Pleasance um, doing his sort of pre-Doctor Evil thing, and uh, <laughs> and you've got Connery, right? Um, but the trouble is, in the next film, okay, I know we got totally different actors playing them, but they don't kind of address the fact that they've met before, and they kind of meet again for the first time, and. I always, my, my sort of head cannon, if you like, always had a real, was really disappointed with that. That always kind of annoyed me. And I know obviously the reason for this, which I learned later as I did more investigation, is because in terms of the books, those events were supposed to become after uh, Majesties. Keith, you know. Keith you're, you're forgetting one thing. 
Bond was wearing glasses in a disguise. Oh, it's a Superman. <laughs> it's the Clark Kent thing, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And Blofeld had his earlobes removed. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, now, now was... it all makes sense. You, in fact, Chris, you, you, you've sorted it for me. Moving forward, that's it. You know? <laughs> I, I tell you what will be interesting to see as we move forward, though, as well. Like, as, you know, when Daniel perhaps retires and the next dude takes over is obviously throughout the series you had those references back to Tracy didn't you you had Tra- Tracy in For Your Eyes Only at the, at the grave uh, like you mentioned there and then obviously there's the reference in Licence to Kill to tie it all together that it's the same dude and I wonder what's going to happen moving forward when the next guy comes along will they will they perhaps reference Vesper moving forward instead of Tracy or will will they just jump out of the Denim Craig timeline and go back to the original and, and mention Tracy it's, it's an odd one to wonder how they're going to play that out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got I've got a couple of little theories, but I, I have to say, I was I was for one really glad that when they did a Bond reboot, because one of the problems was the fact that you know we were supposed to believe that this was the same dude, <laughs> you know, right the way through to the sort of Pierce Brosnan era. In fact, Pierce, they kind of didn't reference anything back with him. So my, again, my head canon used to be that, that that Pierce was a different dude with that that name and number. But uh but yeah, certainly from Connery through Dalton, um, yeah, there were there was always those sort of back references and, and whatever. Um one thing I'm really annoyed with George Lazenby for though, for all his greatness, one thing I'm really annoyed is he is the man who ruined it for any unknown actors ever now <laughs> to get on with Bond because they learned that you know because they he gave them a bad experience and they learned their lesson so so my shot for being Bond was ruined because of George Lazenby. I hear you I hear you <laughs> <laughs> they'll never go with an unknown again after that will they that 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 you know that that was it you know you, he, he, you, you don't know Keith I mean I mean, you are credited as James Bond in my film, and I am. You, you yes. know how it's the closest uh, I'll ever get. But you know, but the, the, it's that weirdest thing with when it comes to films. I mean, when Danny DeVito said in uh, *Romancing the Stone*, "Let's get out of here before Batman comes back," who, who knew he was going to be cast as Penguin? Yeah, you know, Christopher you Walken in. Um, in the dead zone, when he talks about Sleepy Hollow, oh yeah, who knew that years down the line he would play the headless horseman? So, well, even even to link it into Bond, even Roger Moore, um, there's a film that I'm a massive fan of called The Man Who Haunted Himself. Okay? okay, and this was made, I think, in like 1967. I want to say off the top of my head, but I, I saw it um, on television as a, as a as a kid growing up and. And was really, in fact, it's, it's even inspired a piece of work that I've written. Um, I was so so into it. But what's really weird is uh, when it came out on DVD a few years back, I obviously uh, bought it because you know I'm a big fan, and they mm-hmm. had like a commentary on there, and you know some behind the scenes or some documentary retrospective stuff, and all this sort of thing. But in it, um, Sean um, uh, Roger Moore actually says. They're talking about um, something, and he goes, well, it's not all James Bond and Her Majesty's Secret Service, you know. And, and you know, this was obviously, you know, six or seven. I know he was always in the loop as potentially mm. being Bond, but this was, 
you, you know, a, a good five years before he actually um, got cast as him. So, you, you know, yes, that, that those, those weird things do crop up in, in, in cinema. That's so, sure. so there's some help, hope for you yet, Keith? Yeah. Uh, no, no, definitely not. Have, um, have either of you guys seen, there's a 1964 TV show that was called Mainly Millicent, and it was like a comedy TV show, and Roger Moore was winning in one episode playing James Bond. Yeah, so I only really know this because of your podcast. Oh, you <laughs> interviewed Sir Roger. It came out as one of the questions, didn't it? Yeah. Yes. You, yeah. you should check it out because, you know, it's only a small bit, but it's quite funny. But it's just so interesting that they are seeing Roger Moore. Obviously, it's played a little bit for laughs and stuff like that, but it's still quite amusing that he was playing Bond, you know, several years before uh, Live and Let Die, which is quite cool. Mm. Yeah. But I mean, he, he, you know, what, what the thing about Roger is, well, again, this is a whole nother podcast, I know, <laughs> but, um, you, you know, whereas, whereas, you know, back on the, the Lazenby thing for, um, on a Majesty's Secret Service, they definitely tried to make, you know, with the hairstyle and everything, they tried to make Lazenby look like Connery. So we'd sort of believed that this was the same guy, whereas, you know, by the time they went to Roger, it all went in a completely different direction with not only the look, but the the performance style and everything. So, um, yeah, it's kind of well, interesting. I, I guess you couldn't have too many carbon copies of Sean. If if we'd had six sort of Sean lookalikes throughout the years, it would have got a bit strange, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, interestingly, I always sort of thought um, Brosnan, especially when they did that, you know, who... The, the teaser trailer for Goldeneye, you, you know, from a distance and whatever, Bro- Brosnan did did almost look like a kind of slightly better looking version of of, of Dalton in a weird way, you know, when, when you kind of look at them. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. So hey, there there might be a blonde Bond to follow Craig. There you go. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're waiting for a ginger one apparently. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. I wonder who that would be. Yeah. But but my theory, back to your thing about um, whether they'll do, I I want them, I hope Daniel does stick around for more because I think he's too good and he shouldn't go and it's not done yet. But I was almost wondering, by the time we got to the end of Spectre, I was thinking they've almost set this up that they could kind of do, uh, obviously it'll be a very different version, but a kind of Majesty's Diamonds sort of follow up in so much as he, he you know he's now quit the uh secret service he's he's got his he, he's with his lovely um you know miss swan um they, they they could get get married or whatever and then blofeld who's in custody now um played by christoph waltz you know could come in and and sort of seek revenge and you know kill her and that's what gets uh daniel's bond back into the you know the secret service and and all of that sort of thing but i don't know whether they'll go there but well, Keith, somewhere they could certainly go storyline wise you know i'm gonna i'm gonna lay something on you right now are you ready for this i'm i'm braced i'm braced right. go for okay it. so after the film came out right spectre we did an episode during our 30 days of spectre where we looked at the leaked scripts and just sort of explored how the storyline had changed you know over the course of the production and stuff now the very very end of the film was exactly the same. Basically, they get in the DB5 and they drive off into the sunset kind of thing. The only difference was Madeline looks over at Bond and says, but James, where will we, where will we go? Without the stutter, obviously. 
And he turns around and says, don't know. After all, we have all the time in the world. Oh, oh. I wish they'd done that. I wish I they'd know. done that. Oh, I've got goosebumps. You've so, given me goosebumps. There you go. So that line was the very final line in the script, and they drove off into the sunset, which, when you think of Majesties, there's a shot oh. in Majesties after the wedding where they drive yeah. off, and there's like a crane shot where they sort yeah. of drive off into the sunset. And they took that as insurance because they were like, that, we might make that the final shot of the film. And then when yeah. we do Diamonds, we'll do the Pre-trend. Tracy Death scene in the pre-titles. Yeah. So that tells me that that's precisely what they're going to do for the next Bond film. Oh, um, that'll be awesome. <laughs> because, yeah. you, you know, Daniel Craig can't finish now because they've gone full, you know, they've gone full circle with this character. He they really have. Definitely they, they, be back, 100%. Oh, I hope so. I so hope so. Because I really, I really you know i rate him as bond i like him as bond and i love this world that they've they've set up over the four movies um you, you, you know i i just oh I, I, yeah i don't want it to be over i want to carry on with that i'm going to be pissed off if there's a new bond i want i want this i want <laughs> yeah. this we, we, we did his, uh, we wrote an article about this very thing, actually, and it's it, when he did, he did an interview recently in New York and they asked if they talked about Bond a lot, obviously, um, and all that stuff in the papers about him quitting is just total bullshit. None of that yeah. was true. None of, it, none of it came from any credible source. And he said, even in the interview on stage, he's like, you know, if I were to stop, I would really miss it, which tells you he hasn't stopped. He'll be oh, and fantastic. He, he, he discussed that they, they were just doing other things. Barbara Broccoli's producing something else and they're just doing some other things at that time. Like he's 100% coming back. I, deep down, I'd like him to do two more. Um, and what I'd yes. like them to do is do the Blofeld trilogy, a new version of the Blofeld trilogy, which from the Fleming books was basically Thunderball was the first one, then Majesties, then You Only Live Twice. I'd like them to do that. But realistically, I think we'll perhaps get one more out of Daniel. Um, and it will maybe be like what I want it to be is like what the You Only Live Twice book was, where it's upon going after Blofeld and like that showdown. Um, and I want it to be called Shatterhand. That's what I want it to be called. That, <laughs> that was his name in the book. Blofeld changed his name to Dr. Shatterhand. So that, oh, right. for me, would That's be cool. like, all my boxes ticked. Yeah. Wow. There you go. I bloody hope, uh, I hope Barbara Broccoli's a subscriber to this and <laughs> yeah. listening. Come on, Barbara. Sort it out, love. We love you. <laughs> oh, amazing. Chris, have you got any yes. more to say about um, Tom's pick of Honor Secret Service? The only gripe i've got with that film which i have to mention is well it's one sort of thing which could have so easily changed and i don't know if you guys you you must have noticed it when watching it is the the ticking of the bomb the countdown which doesn't quite fit with what we see on screen and it happens all the time in the early bonds they yeah with the way that the way that it's edited there's a point where basically the bomb ticks down to naught and then blowfelt jumps out and then five seconds later, Bond jumps out, and then it blows up. And they, all they had to do was just slightly rejig it, um, just just to get it to fit. And that's the only sort of gripe that whenever I watch it, I'm like, oh come on, you know. Well, it's interesting. Only- it's interesting that it's directed by Peter Hunt, who, of course, um, he w- he was an editor, wasn't he, on the previous right. ones? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. the rest the rest of it is just first class. It really is um, amazing. And obviously, like I said, that would have been my choice. But if I have to choose a different 
favorite film movie heaven film um i could easily go with a with an early connery because i think the first four connerys are all amazing i really do i love them all dr no is is amazing and i think that's definitely underrated um thunderball i love russia and goldfinger is probably the most iconic but if i have to choose another one i am going to go with casino royale yay um, <laughs> be, and there's so many reasons you could do this um I, well, I know just... Simon's seen this one, so that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, no spoiler alert for this one, then. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, it's just, I don't think there's anyone that doesn't like it, which says a lot because it crosses, you know, it crosses, every, everyone is into Casino Royale. And I think the fact it had so much riding on it and there was so much vilification of Craig beforehand and there was, oh, I don't know, I just... When I was watching it, it was everything that they did, they did right. And they, and you kind of mm-hmm. think, well, okay, you watch a film and you think, okay, that's a cracking scene. But with Casino, you're almost in disbelief at how they hit the nail on the head with every... You think about that dinner jacket scene. Again, you mentioned the music cue earlier where that comes in. And that's oh. brilliant. The shower scene with Vesper, she's just witnessing killing this person in, 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 you know, in cold blood and then she can't take it, you know, and he goes into the shower... And the, obviously the clothes are getting wet and he's sort of comforting her. That is one of the most beautiful scenes in the whole series. You've got the parkour scene at the start, which is probably the, my favourite action piece sequence. It is immense. It's so entertaining and thrilling. And it's probably one of the most spectacular things you'll ever see on the screen. And when I saw that for the first time on this big cinema screen, I was I was blown away. I really was. You, you're almost out of breath watching it. Um, and... Obviously, so it's, they've taken so much of the Fleming novel. It was a short novel, but what they used with it was brilliant. The, the poker scene, I, I don't know how long we spend on it, maybe 40 minutes, something like that, maybe maybe a tad more. And you think that could so easily have been boring. It could so easily have, have got people switching off. But all the little intricacies that they use with, you know, the poisoned uh, drink, the poison martini, and um, the the, uh, the um, weeping blood I thought was brilliant. And all the things with the tell, um, supposedly, and with uh, obviously Mathis and Vesper there. I, I'm, I'm just a huge fan of Casino Royale, and I would, I would watch that every single day and, and not get bored, really. Well, I'm not convinced at all that you like it, Chris. I don't know. You know, you could have come across with a little bit more passion about it. Yeah. Just like, no, I mean, I'm 100% with you. It, to me, it is almost, you, you know, a, a perfect film. And it's very hard to, to criticise anything about the film because, it, yeah, it, it, it works on, on all those levels. And, and I, like you, you know, I went into the cinema you know, wanting it to be amazing. And I wasn't disappointed. And oh my God, you know, the, the final scene uh, just left me, you know, on a high. I was just like, that was fucking amazing. And Dave, everybody involved, Daniel, everybody, you're all geniuses. And David Arnold, you are a mega genius because that end cue leading into, you know, the, the, the end credits was just to die for you know <laughs> and, and, and that's not long after i think the whole bit with the sinking house and vesper one of the most haunting mm. images you'll see in bond film is vesper killing herself she you know they craig is trying so sorry bond is trying so hard to reach through the bars to try and touch her and try and break it free to release her and it's she's you know she's committing suicide but the way that you see when she's you can you can tell in her eyes when she decides now's the time 
and while he's there struggling and she lets the water go in and it is haunting her body jolts her stomach jolts and create and bond is desperately trying to reach her and he can't and the way her body then suddenly goes limp and and you go from that to seeing bond at the uh, you know sitting on the roof and and he's almost shaking from what's just happened um it's it, it's sort of mesmerizing but in a haunting way and and again that was done so well and then we see bond on the boat and we get the whole the bitches deadline which is i'm so yeah, glad straight they from used. the book yeah exactly. no, absolutely so glad yeah. they used and then obviously that final scene is one of the best scenes ever with uh, you know the, the gunshot is just amazing and then we get the words and we get the music and you can't have seen that and not leave the cinema with the biggest smile that you've ever had because it's just genius. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, I take it, Tom, what, what, what are you, I know you like this one as well, don't you? <laughs> yes. That, that scene I'm sitting here and I'm covered in goose pimples, just Chris talking about it. Cause I, I we have a rule on the podcast that we're not allowed to watch the film until we get around to reviewing it. So I oh. haven't seen Casino in a while and I'm just sitting here wishing I could, I was allowed to go and watch it. That scene, that final scene is actually, my favorite scene in that whole series because what makes that even more genius is the fact that you have this trope that he's supposed to come out with every time where he says his name in a funny way right bond james bond and he's done it a billion times and that's what you do when you're a kid and sometimes when you're an adult and you're playing around and you, you know you wear in a suit or whatever and it's like they basically took that which had been done a million times before and just totally presented it in a brand new way where it was like the feature focal point of the whole movie and it was like it like you were saying earlier it like builds up like you when he first puts on the you know the suit and the bow tie and he's checking himself out in the mirror you just get the little strains of it in the baseline in the score of the bond theme and then you never really hear it and then he earns it by the end of the film and like the timing of that whole scene is so perfect mr white answers his phone you know, who is this, Mr. White, we need to talk. And you hear the whirl of the bullet and him dropping on the floor, crawling over, and then you just, just like, oh, fuck me. <laughs> the way you see his foot come into the shot and then the camera just sort of sweeps up to him and he stood there with that gun and he drops the line and it's like, it's never been done. Like, I can't say it's never been done better because Sean did it such a good job delivering the line in Doctor No, but fuck me, the, that scene just gets me, like, to the core of my being. And it's my favourite scene in the whole series. Love it. Yeah, now I hear you. <laughs> Simon? Well, uh, this would have been my pick <laughs> for movie heaven. Um, but um, the the thing going into the, seeing this film is because we just come out of seeing the Jason Bourne films and they had kind of upped the game. It was It's one of those films that um, after Jason Bourne, you couldn't do a spy thriller the same way. And so there was that slight worry that they were going to try and do a kind of, you know, Jason Bourne kind of ripoff. And if anything, they, they, it, it just, it was, they just upped up their game and was, it was just better than the Bourne films. And oh, sure. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, it was, the, the, the thing about it was, I don't think we've had such a physical bond. I mean, the way he takes out that first guy in the toilet, mm -hmm. I mean, it's just sort of down, dirty and gritty. So brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I mean, the fact that that guy still gets up after him smashing his face into the sink. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, I think they were like one step away of actually 
Bond sort of dunking his head in the toilet or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you could, you couldn't. It's but a great if, opening, but you, yeah, but if you imagine, like, say, uh, especially if it was like Roger Moore or something, he would have some quip about, uh, oh, he's is in the toilet or he's, he's taking <laughs> yeah. a break or, you know, something like that. Um, yeah. I don't know why I'm doing it in Sean Connery's voice, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's just not Roger Daltrey this time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's, it, it's, it's the fact that, um, you know, it, it, it's kind of a, it's very sort of, you have a, a distant, a, a different beast. I mean, the fact that you had, um, Q uh, M, sorry, still being played by Judy Dench, and she's sort of talking to Bond, you know, saying that you're a thug, you know, you you don't think, you just re you just react, and so just to see him go from that kind of thuggish character to to James Bond, mm. and so at the end he really earns that line, and that's why it's the it's it's the best utterance of it because he's he's earned it. That whole film is of him yeah. becoming Bond. Yeah. And that's yeah. one of the reasons why the other um, Daniel Craig films have just not lived up to <laughs> Casino Royale. They they really can't. I mean, they try. And if anything, they've kind of gone backwards. I mean, one of my problems with Skyfall was the, like the last bit where, you know, they suddenly introduced the, um, is it the DB9? The Aston Martin, and yeah, it's got DB5. like DB five, yeah. sorry, and it's got machine guns and bulletproof, and it's like, yeah, I, I thought I, yeah. I, this, yeah, this is too. not the Daniel Craig <laughs> Bond. Daniel Craig yeah. Bond is not about the gadgets. It's more of like you know, trying to do outwit or outthink or a lot of the time outpunch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. that's that's such a perfect point. Actually, you're absolutely right in the sense that like. Do you, you remember when they dropped the first teaser trailer of Casino Royale? I remember watching it and being like, this doesn't look like a Bond film. I feel because mm. he, he had that weird sort of like beige flowery shirt on in the yes. pre-title <laughs> sequence. And it was like, this looks like a diehard or something like And Obviously, he looked so different to Pierce and the Bonds we had before. And I was really worried going in that it was just going to just be this weird film that was just really odd. Um, and the, the thing that like I didn't know when I first saw it, I came out. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what I just saw. It's so different. And it wasn't until the second viewing that I really got it. And I was like, fuck, this might actually be the best Bond film ever. Like, and the, the things that I love about it is that Martin Campbell really gets Bond, gets, mm, yeah. gets who he is. It's so easy. You rock out, you know, a, a Lee Tamahori or, or another director who's like, thinks they know what Bond is. And they think Bond is this handsome dude that has surrounded by women and he has gadgets. And like, that's the popular, if they don't know your Bond, like that's the popular thought of what Bond is. And they trot out, you know, a, a run of the mill action movie, right? Martin Campbell really gets it like on a, on a deep level. And like, I've talked about this tons on the podcast, uh, on our podcast, but there's a scene when he he does it, obviously his two kills at the beginning of Casino Royale, which is what you need to get into the double O section. You've got the fight in the bathroom, and the other one is when he kills Dryden. So there's the scene Dryden's in his desk, and he's you know they have that conversation about how the how the first kill died and all the rest of it. And then when Bond finally shoots Dryden, flashing across the screen, Dryden falls out of his chair. For the briefest second, you see a photo on the desk of Dryden with his wife and kids. Like it just flashes up, blink and you'll miss it. And it's like that attention to detail 
was amazing because that just reinforces what a cold-blooded bastard Bond is. And he's seeing the family on the desk there and he doesn't care and he shoots the dude anyway. Like, and it's, it's, you look at that parkour chase, for example, Bond isn't meant to be a superhero. Like he's not meant to be the strongest dude in the room. And when he's in that chase, you've got a dude who's far superior to him, far more, you know, athletic and agile and that kind of stuff. And you see how that dude will jump off the crane and how he falls gracefully. And he's all, all, already up on his feet and running where Bond lands awkwardly and he picks himself up, dusts himself off. The guy flips through that burnt out car. Bond sort of just runs around it and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, it's the dry details, wall man. that makes me laugh. The guy flips through that little gap in the top yeah. and Bond just runs straight through it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that's it, perfectly. And it's like, that's what Bond, Bond has always been from the, from the beginning, or should have always been. This dude who, okay, he's not, he's not Superman, he's not invulnerable, and he comes up against stronger opponents and he uses his, his you know, his his wiliness, for want of a better word, to like get around that. And that for me is like the bond, the bond essence. Do you know what I mean? That you need and fucking does he get that in Casino Royale, man? I I love if I ever get to meet Martin Campbell, I'm just gonna hug him and tell him how much. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, no, well, so Ma- Martin like, Campbell has bought Bond back twice for us. I mean, you, you know, regardless of what I think of the soundtrack, you know, Golden Eye was it was a was a great movie to bring Bond back after this long absence and uh you, you, you know, and he delivered a game with, with this reboot. And I have to say, I mean, for me, out of all the actors, I think Daniel Craig is the luckiest actor to play Bond. And the reason I say that is in terms of characterization, mm. um, a lot of what he does, Dalton had already done. I mean, Timothy Dalton, in terms of, of the characterization, was, was doing that, you know, like 18 years previously. It's just that the world wasn't ready for it at that point, yeah. Um, but the thing is, he didn't have the scripts, you know, to, to, to sort of explore this character. And what's been lovely for Daniel Craig, I think, is we have, through the, through the series of the, um, of the four films, but, you know, particularly with, with Casino Royale, you know, we, we've seen him evolve and become the character and, and go on that full sort of journey and, and have all of those different spectrums of a uh, emotion and ruthlessness and falling in love for the, you know, properly for the first time and all, all of this sort of stuff. And, um, you, you, you know, it, it has been a, a great series of, of, of films so far. And also I've been happy because it's it's had the good continuity, well, for the most part as well, in terms of you've had all the same actors and stuff playing the characters, uh, which has been which has been fantastic, you know. <laughs> well, I think I just want to say this. Um, I I always like the first half of Die Another Day, and I just think, um, what if they let that film carried on that way and not had the invisible car and the lasers and the water skiing and the, you know, all the really, really weird, crazy stuff that film had. And it was just about Bond using his wits. I think it would have been a much better film. And I I, I think that first half is really good. And I think, I, I don't know, it was kind of like they were kind of going for it and then they lost their bowl and they just went no we'll just do all this other stuff well you know what it's funny you say that because over the the years both tom and i have been very quick uh, quick to ridicule purvis and wade who who've written pretty much you know a lot of the brosnans and 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 obviously had a hand in some of the craigs and mainly this was looking at die another day and and we've l- latterly found out that really 
all the decisions that we thought have been appalling have all been director-led. So, uh. for instance, it was completely Purvis and Wade who had that whole idea of the torture scene and, and you know, with Brosnan, and they wanted to play on that mm. with Bond, you know, obviously M not wanting him back at MI6, he's not ready and all that. And and they really wanted to go with that. And apparently it was it was Tamahori who stepped in was like, no, 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 okay, you've had your bit. Now I want it to get all, all sort of crazy fantasy and all this sort of stuff. And uh, oh, it, yeah. it was it was his idea for the tsunami and all this. And uh, yeah. and 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 that's something. Funny enough, if, if um, you know, we get to say Purvis away, I almost feel like I owe them an apology just to say, you know, I I was ready to sort of have a go at you but really it's not them whatsoever you know they've put in a lot of good stuff and the fact they weren't casino you know mm. obviously with 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 a couple of other additional help as well but it, it, it is a lot of it is a director-led where things sometimes go wrong and i think that was in the case of die another day that was definitely lee tamahori mm. yeah well they were they were also trying because it was the 40th anniversary at the time for die another day they, they were trying to you know, a bit like they did with the the Aston Martin in 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 Skyfall. In fact, they were trying to you know put these things in to sort of wink that it's that it's the anniversary, and it, and it really wasn't you know working at all. And um, you're you're right. I mean, those guys uh, obviously Paul Haggis had some uh, involvement it, yeah. as well in um, in in Casino Royale, but uh, uh, but then of course a lot of it came directly from Fleming's work as well. So um, it, you it's know, interesting. That, that's great. I saw them talk at a panel once and somebody asked them about um, Casino Royale specifically and, and how what Paul Haggis's contribution was. And that was, that was the first thing that surprised me in the sense that uh, Purvis and Wade were always saying that they, they're always trying to squeeze as much Fleming material in there as they possibly can. And in their original draft, stuck to the original uh, ending in Casino where, you know, Vesper dies in the bath and commits suicide that way. Like, that's what they had. Paul Haggis came in and felt it needed like an action set piece to top off the film. So took that out and did the whole sinking house kind of sequence. Um, so it would be, it would be interesting to get your mitts on those original purpose and Wade scripts. I mean, what, what you've done there, Simon, is you've, you've preempted my movie hell. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to go for it. We're already yeah, there. No, I'm just going to go we, for we, it. Can, can I just, it. yeah, just before we move on though, there's one thing I just really quickly want to talk about. About. and it's this um they, they they've done it now in a couple of films where they recreate the ursula andrus are coming out the water shot and what do you yes. guys think of that because it is it just seems to be it uh, i i i'm not a, i'm not a fan of it and i think it's it it's just one thing they just keep they keep going back to and it's like yes we've seen that you know why do we need to see like Halle Berry do it or why do we need no, to see Daniel I, Craig do it I, I I completely agree I think um I think well we a we definitely don't want to see it anymore we definitely don't need to see it anymore <laughs> I think if you're going to have one I think that's fine and out of the two choices I'd I prefer the Daniel one to the Halle Berry one because I think that's <laughs> given I know as strange as that may seem but I think <laughs> I think the Die Another Day one was just felt forced. And straight away when you're watching it, you're like, well, I know why it's there. And this is taking me right out of the film. And the scene that follows, oh, I'm getting into Die Another Day territory. And this is Tom's <laughs> yeah, baby, really. I'm going to lose all our female listeners with this comment. But unfortunately, um, Hallie coming out of the uh, the, the, the water and... Um, uh, 
Rosman Pike's character, you know, whatever. Those for me are the only two things that I like <laughs> about Die Another Day. So, uh, which is, you know, completely for the wrong reasons, obviously. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think in in which case, yeah, I'd be happy if that never sort of happened again. I suppose to put it Listen, for me, I mean, I'm I'm never going to get bored of seeing bikini-clad ladies coming out of the water. For me, you could stick that in every single Bond film, and I'll be happy with it. Yeah, I I know what you mean though. Like I I don't like ham-fisted sort of like winky winky audience things like a perfect example is strawberry fields in quantum when she's on the bed covered in oil exactly yeah. like the golden girl and goldfinger mm. to me that was so out of place and just sort of like when you're gonna when you do things like that you you're gonna you're, you're taking an all-time iconic not just bond history but movie history moment and it's only ever going to be a, a reference to that. I, I, I'm much more in support of doing something that's like new. Do you know what I mean? And, and making your own version of what that, whatever that is. But like for me, a lot of people didn't like Spectre, but I love. Even though the unexpected thing for me with Spectre was that that was almost like a well done version of those tributes to old Bond. Yes. Like I agree. it was, it was like for for me, you've seen Craig as this rough diamond gradually sort of form up and there was this weird thing where in Skyfall all of a sudden everybody's talking about him like like he's old and past it and all the rest of it and it's like we've only just got to do it he's only been around for a few years mm -hmm. um and it was like for me I wanted to see him become that classic Bond we've always known and loved and for me that's what we got Inspector like the, yeah. the oh mate that pre-title sequence the minute he gets out on that rooftop and starts strutting along with that gun I'm like I'm game over I'm done you might as well stop the film because I'm just I've it's I'm, I'm I've already ejaculated. I love it so much. Like no. he's he's become he is that bond. He's that cocky bond. And the other scene in that I love is when um, uh, I've had a brain fart. You know um, the beautiful woman who get who who's in it at the first part. Oh my god! I can't believe it. I can't remember. Estrella. No, the next one. The, the older lady, one. I should say. What, oh, Lucia um, Sciara, Monica yes, Lucci. Yes, thank yeah. you, yeah, Lucia Sciara. Yeah. That shot when she walks through the house and she's having a whiskey because she knows she's about to get taken out, and then you see the two dudes come out from the darkness behind her, aim their guns at them, then you hear the, 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 the two shots from the silencer, and they both fall down, and then camera pans, and there's Bond stood there. Fuck me, man, I love that scene. And the way he walks up to her and she says, you just bought me five minutes, and he's like, excellent, time for a drink. And it's yeah. like, that oh. is classic. Amazing. Classic yeah. movie Bond. And they, they, he's just oozes that he oozes yeah. it and he's so good with the humor and everything inspector i fucking love that film man i don't get any of the like i get the blofeld brother storyline pisses people off and all that stuff but like I, you complete me mini me yeah other than that i mean I, i'm with you this is what i mean when i say that i think craig has come full circle with the character was exactly that if you look at if you look at the films as a journey because, you know, I always look at um, Quantum of Solace as being that sort of next chapter to, um, to, to Casino Royale, whether you like it or not. You know, it, yeah. it's kind of it is kind of storyline completely following on. And um, and, uh, you, you know, this this was the thing just to finish off on Casino Royale. I thought that having the DB5 as the car that the, the guy has that he win that he wins in in the in the card game 
um, was a better wink reference and much more subtle than in Skyfall having it be the car with the machine guns and the ejector seat. That oh, really yeah. fucked me off. I think yeah, they did yeah. it. They did it right in Casino Royale. Just just having the the iconic, you know, image of that car in silver in the film and you think you get it, but it's not distracting, you know, it's yeah. there. Whereas by the time they got to, um, you know, Skyfall and making it the, the essentially the car from Goldfinger, I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? This is ridiculous. Yeah. So, uh, and we, we, I know we've, we've talked about this in, in length on mm. our podcast, so I'll, I'll shut up and move on and say, <laughs> so Tom, what is your pick for movie? Hell? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, it is obviously dying of the day. Um, yeah. Now I have to. I have to be honest, right? I I went to see it. I I love Pierce, right? For me, like I said, Goldeneye was the one that really like I absorbed into bondness with Goldeneye, and it, like he was the man. I used to like go to the barbers and have my hair cut like Pierce when I was a kid, and I just like he, for me, he was just that ultimate at that, at that time of my life. I was like thirteen when Goldeneye came out, so it was perfect. And I loved all of Pierce's movies until I hit Dying of the Day. And I tell you what it was. I remember seeing the very first production or one of the very first production stills that they released. And it was Bond on a surfboard. And I was like, hold on a minute. That's just not right. And it's not just Bond on holiday having a surf. He's in full nighttime camouflage combat gear surfing into a mission as a mode of transport. And I thought, this is, that's just sprung on so many levels and I, I felt that it was going to be off from that very first shot and then I remember going in to see it and I could just tell like before you had the gun barrel and before we'd even hit the song I was like shit this isn't this isn't this isn't working like the the fights on the hovercraft and all that kind of stuff I was like this isn't this isn't a step up from the last one it's not even an equal step to the side from the last one this is this is a step down and I remember walking out of that cinema absolutely gutted and i went mm -hmm. back to see it a second time a few days later just to make sure and i made sure and i i literally haven't watched that film since 2002 i've seen it twice in the cinema <laughs> and i haven't watched it since and i, I there's going to be a day when we have to review it for the podcast and i i worry for myself because i love bond so much with all of my heart and soul with so much passion and i hate i hate to be negative about it but like I, I, I'm hoping I'm going to revisit it like 14, 15 years later, and it's going to, and I'm going to be like, you know what? It wasn't as bad as I thought. I'm hoping that's what happens. Mm. But from what I can remember of the film, I don't think that's going to happen. It doesn't get any better, mate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that there'll be a, there'll be a couple of little nuggets in there. I think for Tom, I, 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 I agree with him on the film. Um, completely but i think he's he's been blinded by by time a little bit i think i agree i think one of you mentioned earlier on the first half of it is not bad there are some nice little moments in the first half i think after that when it goes crazy you can just forget about it you might as well, well you know what that's that's the thing like you you were saying earlier uh, simon i think it was about yeah. how that first half is brave and it it was and if you read interviews with pierce back from the time where they were making it he's describing a totally different movie where he's like we're stepping away from the formula it's going to be a lot darker Blah blah blah. Which, when you've had three movies like his previous three, like that was the point. It needed to change a little bit. They needed to experiment with the formula a little bit and do something different. And the fact that he gets taken into you know captivity at the beginning and you see him all beaten and bloody and bearded and fucked up, like 
damn man that was such a good move like I, I the thought of that is amazing and then it's exactly like you said it was like they started on that path and they should have kept on it and it's like the moment he has a shave it just it's like they've lost their bottle and they're like do you know what we're just going to stick back to the formula we're not going to bother trying anything new and we're just going to just going to plump forward because that that is just it was such a disappointment to have that left turn yeah, he had a shave yeah. with his obvious product placement. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I'll say where the film lost me is the scene with Miss Money per- Penny in the VR suite. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's where it's it took that's, that long. I, I, I must admit, the end, isn't it? <laughs> no, no, no. It's about the halfway point. It's the bit oh, where okay. he's uh, he, M's brought him back in, and then suddenly we have this scene where he's seducing Miss Money Penny, and it turns out it's VR. And it's just like, what? I mean, it's it, it can totally have been cut out. I mean, it was, you know, I don't know where the hell that came from. Chris has, has made several good points about this film. And, and like I say, I'm talking from my memories of like 14 years ago now. But there are, there are a lot of sequences you could just snip out of the film and it yes. wouldn't make any difference. Of course, like the... the the tsunami scene. It's, oh, it's, I mean, I mean, don't, don't even. Like, what makes that even more ridiculous is not what what's happening itself. I almost feel if Roger had done that, I'd be okay with it. Like I feel like Roger could have carried that off in some way, right? But like, what makes it even more ridiculous is the fact that they kick in the James Bond theme during that, and it's like that doesn't make it. But that's supposed to kick in when Bond is the coolest man in the room, yeah. and. Not when he looks like a plum. Exactly. The other thing as well is, you know, even back to the Roger films is is one of the things that that you know the Bond film, the, the Bond franchise has always been prided on is doing as much as physically possible for real. Yeah. Completely, so completely. so you know you know like I, I've got my issues with um, it's a whole other podcast, but my issues with with Man with the Golden Gun in some respects. But nobody can deny that that car flip is is just movie magic. You know, yeah. I mean that's yeah. just like my god. You know, um, but with this, you, you know, not only was that sequence ridiculous, but it was so obviously cg i mean it didn't even look realistic it just was horrible and i was like oh my god what are they doing why are they yeah. why are they doing i mean i admit they couldn't have probably pulled that off real but at least for the close-ups or something they could have um y- y- you know had had sort of realistic stuff but it was so obviously a green screen and it was just like horrible exactly <laughs> you know, yeah. and i just will say because at the um you know before all that you have this i think a really great fight scene where the fight the fencing scene where that's good yeah that with, is good with bond and um uh gustav graves Gust- having this fight and for some and the thing is bond doesn't know who gustav is and and gustav is really having a you know having a fight with him he's really going for him and he hasn't got a clue and it's kind of like in some sense, he's a little caught by surprise, but they just go for it. And I mean, it's so physical. It's so they they go all over the place. They damage all this stuff. I know it, it starts off with a cameo from Madonna. I was going to say, I <laughs> yeah. hated that pointless cameo by Madonna was dreadful. I mean, that yes. was just like, 
That's the, only, that's the only bit doing? Tom likes, isn't it, Tom? <laughs> I love Madonna. She's my favourite singer of all time. <laughs> <laughs> For anybody who's not following, that was laced with just 100% sarcasm. Yeah, I just... It, it's it's yeah. awful. I feel, like, I feel terrible bad-mouthing Bond because I love him so much, but there's just so little in my memory... To, to enjoy about this film. And like you say, there's, there's there's like the DNA of a solid movie in there. Like him getting taken into captivity at the beginning and seeing that for the first time is brilliant. Like the fencing scene, like I feel like that's that's that could have almost been like the golf game in Goldfinger. Do you know what I mean? It could have been that, you know, or, or, or whatever. But like there's, I mean, when you think about it, you're just like the thing that sort of really pains me is that our villain, Gustav Graves, He's actually a North Korean general who's had his face changed. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's like, hold on a minute. If you've ever been to Asia, you know that like it's just basic things like language. This, like, if I try and speak Thai, for example, there's just some sounds I just physically can't make with my mouth. Like, I just can't do it. And it's the same vice versa. If you know, you, you try to speak to a Thai person in English, and it's like there's just some ways that they can't do. You know, and it's like, how the fuck? Does a guy go from being a North Korean general to a perfect plummy British accent to to be this sort of like upper class aristocrat dude out of nowhere? With ginger hair. With ginger I mean, hair. It's just, I mean, but you man. know what? On, on on a note of that, something really subtle that they could have done to improve it, which they didn't. When we first see this guy, he's basically almost a martial art expert to a certain extent. He's kickboxing. He's using this guy as a punch bag. One of his minions as a punch bag isn't he and we can see he's he's pretty good you know he knows his kickboxing or, or or whatever it might be and then when he becomes grave none of that ever appears again there's so many little mm. things which they could have added to to sort of merge the gap between the two supposedly sane characters which they just didn't do which is which is terrible um mm. but i'll get if, if if you'll allow me i'll give you two cinema experiences that i've had with bond one relating to Die Another Day and one relating to Casino Royale. Okay, so watching Die Another Day for the first time, it was either the, uh, uh, either the first or second time, I was in the cinema and the I was watching it and, you know, God, uh, some bits of it were good, like we said, the fencing scene, but I was getting to the point where I was almost felt, um, you know, it was almost quite tricky to watch because it, it just wasn't hitting the right notes. Um, and it got to that part with the tsunami and everyone in the cinema just burst out laughing. Now, they weren't laughing because what they were seeing, you know, they weren't laughing with what was on the screen. They were laughing at it because how ridiculous it was. They're seeing this thing that's, you know, every computer game, even back then, looked better than what was on the screen. It really did. And... And it made me feel so bad because like Tom, like you guys, I've got so much love for the character and the franchise. And just to see people ripping it out of him is 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 hard to take. And it really is because you're thinking, how can it stoop to something so low and have no one recognise how bad it is? You think how many people have seen that footage and gone, mm, you know what, maybe we should ditch this bit. Uh, it's not working, you know, and and, and that whole segment it doesn't even need to be in a film because it doesn't progress it any ounce whatsoever but that okay so that is one experience now counteract that with this 
Casino Royale. I'm watching it in the cinema again, second, third time, something like that. And it gets to the scene where Bond is naked and he's strapped to the chair and Le Chiffre has got his cat of nine tails. And basically there's a bit where he's sort of t- talking to Bond saying, oh, you keep yourself in good shape, don't you? And there are some little lads in front of us. It must have been in their, they're in their teens, maybe. And they were ripping it out of Bond going, oh, look at him naked. Isn't this gay? And all stuff like that. <laughs> and, 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 and now, honestly, and I, and I was enjoying it. I go, no, this is quality. And, and they were and they were obviously I didn't say that to them, but they were they were really ripping it. Almost equivalent of what happened to Die Another Day. But yet. As soon as as Le Chiffre sort of started hitting Bond, and Bond just took it and started laughing, and you know, to the right, to the right, and all that, they <laughs> shut up. They just shut up and they oh, watched the film. And they Chris, were they were taken just in. Giving me chills, mate. Yeah, mate. They were taken in because what they knew was that they were watching cinema magic. So they had gone from this cocky, cocky little shits taking the piss to suddenly shutting up, watching Bond be absolutely mesmerising on the screen and I didn't hear a peep of them out of them for the rest of that film. Yeah, and, amazing. I, yeah, I, amazing. I must admit, I had a different feeling when I was watching that film because when I went to the cinema, there was, there was tons of like little kids there. The parents had brought their kids along to see it and they're all like five or six. And right. through, throughout all the action scenes, fine, never thought anything. And then suddenly the torture scene kicks in. I'm going... Ooh, should they be watching this? I'm feeling a bit weird watching this and knowing that there's these kids here watching, you know, James Bond getting tortured. I mean, I'm sure they don't know quite what's going on, but I'm feeling a bit weird. I'm like, should this really have been a 12? Yeah, it's, it's borderline, wasn't it? Borderline. Yeah, they did, yeah, it, no, they did it so well, isn't it? Because mm. it's in the book, it's it's basically described that he's getting his bollocks whipped, isn't it? And yeah. it's like, oh, how yeah. on earth do you present that on screen, you know? But I think they did it so well. They do it so well. I yeah. mean, just just the the, the, the whole when um, Mads Mikkelsen comes in, Le Chief comes in and picks up the chair and you see him cut with the knife, the 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 the, 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 the base out of it and put it down and it's just like oh my god you know it's just you you kind of know what's coming but at the same mm. time you know they did it so well and it's so effective and i'm i'm too getting goosebumps just thinking about one of it, my you know? favorite it's like, moments it's, in that scene sorry sorry to bite in one of my favorite moments that just puts a massive smile on my face it's like after he's had a, had a couple of whippings and then literally like him and bond are like face to face and bond's just like i've got a little itch yeah yeah, I just oh man, oh, like that's man. That, that to me is the essence of the cockiness that Bond needs, man, and he did that yeah. so well. Yeah, no, but I mean, with, with the whole die another day thing, I mean, you know, I, I remember, I mean, I, I was a big Pierce Brosnan fan, really liked Pierce, liked what he did with the character, liked what he brought to the role, um, had enjoyed the other, you know, three films immensely. Uh, this one, you, you know, yeah, it'll be fair that I think it did start out okay. You know, it, it, the first half of it was all right, but by the time they got into, you know, towards the finale and definitely the, you know, from that tsunami point onwards, I actually wanted it to end, which I couldn't believe that I was sat there willing a Bond film to end. And then when I came out, I, I took my mum and dad to see it and, and a few of my mates were there and everything that knew, no, I'm a Bond nut. And I just looked and I said, that was fucking terrible. I mean, I, I was so disappointed. And I did, as you did, Tom, I went back to see it again just to make sure that I wasn't like 
tripping or, you know, something wasn't wrong with me and it was really that shit. And it was, and and you know, I've I've come from saying that the only things that are memorable in that film to me is the fact that it's got two stonking hot Bond girls, you know, because mm. both those Bond girls are great, and it's yeah. got a fucking awesome Aston Martin in it, which unfortunately they make invisible halfway through, which fucking idiots, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but but yeah, you, you know, other than that, that film is just, you, you know, I mean, it would have been my pick for movie hell for sure because it's it's the least watchable of the entire franchise in, in my know, opinion you know you what's know? funny though about it like I, i've caught a little bit of flack because whenever it comes up on the on the podcast oh, i know you flag so it off right. every time. <laughs> i yeah, do I and I, I it's just you've it, had to it, apologize a few yeah, times yeah i know <laughs> and it's and we, we've had people say you know i love jbr or whatever but like it does get a little bit tiresome when tom goes off on one about dying all the time <laughs> and it's just, just i get it and i, I took i took I took a, a, a turn over a new leaf and I was like, do you know what? I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to, I'm going to wait till obviously we get around to reviewing it. I'm not going to yeah, say we'll it off anymore. That. I'm going to, going to look at it, <laughs> you know, through as much of a positive lens as I can and, and find what I like about it. But it's funny, like, you see, when, when we've seen those comments floating around the internet, people say, oh, I'm not slagging enough Diamond of the Day all the time. I mean, it's not as bad as Diamonds Are Forever or The Man With The Golden Gun by a long way. And I'm like, hold on a minute. Like, that is... There is such a massive ocean of shit between Die Another Day and those other two films that it's just it's it, but it's 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 so in the eye of the beholder and there are people who genuinely say it's better than than those two or, or, or some of the others and it's like it's one of those things that there's something in Bond for everybody even for me where this is the pinnacle of shitness <laughs> there are other people who who would rate the man with gold gun below it which to me is just unspeakable. Well, they were even going to spin off a, a, a Jinx movie at one point, right? Oh, my right? God. Is imagine that. that. Imagine you know? that. They were going to. You're right. But just imagine, well, I, I, can you imagine it? I don't know. How bad would that have been? Well, I mean, it would have been nice from the fact it's Halle Berry. But yeah. other than that, on every other level, it would have been total shitness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, I mean, don't look at the job that Halle Berry did with Catwoman. It wouldn't well, be, yeah, it wouldn't that, be that great. Was great, wasn't it? Again, I like that. I like that for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I'd say the only positive that sort of comes out of the film is it did give Rosamund Pike her break. It did. And she's fantastic. She is absolutely I mean, fantastic. In Gone in Girl, Gone Girl yeah. she is amazing. She yeah, is, yeah. and she's also there's a movie actually in the in the cinemas at the moment called uh, United Kingdom, mm-hmm. and uh, she where she plays a you know a real life character. And um, she is her, her performance in that is amazing. So any 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 you know f- film buffs, which I'd imagine you are if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> go out and check out United Kingdom because it's a very good movie. <laughs> I, t- I tell you what else I'm grateful to Die Another Day for, which is the fact that we wouldn't have got Casino Royale unless we'd have had Die Another Day before it. And I'm forever grateful for that because if you look at what happened there, that film came out, it made a boatload of money, it was a huge success. And, and even the reviews were positive and everything. And it was, it was, it was, it hit that point where they could have easily tried out another one of those and, and gone down that route and carried on for a couple more films. Pierce wanted to come back, you know, he was all ready to come back and all the rest of it. They could have done that. And they stopped and were like, hold on a minute, we've just, we've taken this too far. We need to just take stock of this. And it was like, let's have a little break. We'll come back. We're going to start completely over and we're going to do something brand new. And I think we would never have got Daniel, we'd have never have got Casino Royale had it not been for Dana the day being as, you know, 
awful as it was, you know. And yeah. I think you've yeah. just got to be grateful to it for that, if, if nothing else. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and, and definitely for Barbara Broccoli sticking to her guns about the um, casting for Daniel Craig, because, again, mm. you know, like you said, that got loads of backlash. Um, and, uh, you, you know, as I said, I just don't want anyone else to play him right now. It's like, no, Daniel, yeah. so, <laughs> you, you know, other than me, I don't want anybody else to play Bond right <laughs> yeah. now. So, Daniel, yeah. you stick in there, man. You go for it, Daniel. You know, so we love you. But the other, uh, yeah, the other thing I think you've got to you've got to think about is Eon know what they're doing. And Barbara, as you just said, proved that, you know, she she knew Daniel had something. Pierce, obviously, every choice of Bond actor has gone down, you know, has been great choice for that time. I know some people like we mentioned Slate Lazenby, but no, he was still really good. And Eon, they they know their game. You've just got to put all your trust in it. And Craig will definitely be back for one more Um for sure. And when the time is right, Eon will know and they will know who to replace him with because they haven't done it. They've got it in it right every time. They really have, um, I would say, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, no, so. I, I agree. I agree. Well, Chris, let's use that yeah. as um, our lead in then for what your pick for movie hell would be. Well, well this is really unfair because if had I gone first on both occasions, my answers would have been the same as Tom. <laughs> um, but. <laughs> And and how can you follow Die Another Day? I'll tell you what, I might have to flip this a little bit on its head if it's, if that's all right. Because um, basically there are certain films where I think when you grow up and you watch, you're you're kind of drawn to them. Like when I was really young, I thought Moonraker, I loved it. A bit sort of flight fantasy. You only live twice, obviously a bit spacey, and that was quite cool. Um, and as you get older, you get a bit more respect for some of the some of the other ones, which maybe might have been different tack. Like from Russia is great hugely uh in my la- in my later teens to obviously now it's it's definitely right up there for me and equally there have been films where i thought well actually i'm not too keen on that one um di- to be honest diamonds are forever was one of those that was one that i thought well i'm not sure about this um you know it's again there are certain effects with it in it which aren't great at one point, Fiore's only i always thought was quite a slow film um and there are various other little bits and pieces but that that's all changed now because as of as we've sort of reviewed them obviously we've all watched the films a million times but as we've gone through and reviewed them there aside from potentially the one film we just talked about there isn't a, a, a bond film that hasn't got an ocean of brilliance within it no matter what one you look at and now like stuff like diamonds are forever we reviewed that and okay it's not a perfect film there are flaws to it but it is a guilty pleasure because there's a lot of fun that you can take from it we reviewed a view to a kill and that generally is towards the bottom list on most people's bond films but we were watching we're like well no that again there might be one or two scenes we think uh, that perhaps shouldn't be there or something else could have been done but there is just so much enjoyment to be had and what I'm trying to say, I mean, never say never again. Again, people think, okay, crap film. But the first three quarters of that film is brilliant. It really oh, yeah. is. Got yeah. Great cast, cracking cast, and it's really well done. But because it's a non-neon, obviously it gets slack. The final, the final quarter, it does sort of fall apart a bit. But what I'm trying to say is it, it's very difficult to pick a movie hell if I'm not allowed to pick Dino the Day. That's what I'm trying to say. Blimey, you're, you're, you're kind of like the uh, JBR equivalent of me, Chris, on oh. movie hell. Because I always find it, Simon always laughs, I always find it hard to pick movie hells always because, yeah. you know, I kind of have an appreciation for everything 
up to a certain level. So, yeah, um, yeah no, yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. But are, are you going to focus on one? Or is um, it I don't impossible? know. So, and I'm not allowed to, to do Die Another Day again. <laughs> um, I, I think, to be honest with you, I think Die Another Day deserves it twice. To be yeah. Honest. Yeah. We could call it ne- yes. Never Die Another Day Again. Yeah. Never perfect, Die perfect. Another Day Again. There you go. Perfect. That's the next Bond title. <laughs> it, it, it probably would be with Tamahori to go over again. But, um, yeah. How about Die Another Groundhog Day? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Let's go. go with that. Um, yeah. So, so if that's permitted, I think I'll I'll go with that. I mean, well, it is it is a, it is it is a breaking of the rules. But yeah. I think because you've been very special guests and we've loved having you on, we can probably bend the rule on this occasion. Oh, Wouldn't you say, Simon? Yeah, yeah. We could we yeah. can bend the rule. But I um, appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Well, <laughs> or you can pick another heaven. How about that? Oh, oh actually, okay. Keith. Keith, okay. I, I think. Oh, I know I, what's coming up next then. No, I I think there's one we could discuss as kind of what would have been my pick for hell. And I I pick it as hell because I always think it's a real missed opportunity. But I I wonder what people's uh, thoughts are of a man with the golden gun. Because I I think of it as a missed opportunity because you have Scaramanga set up as this, you know, Bond's opposite as somebody who's equally as skilled as he is and they set up at the beginning to have this like one-on-one um you know duel and it, it it never really lives up to that in in my my books they they just turn him into another you know villain with a lair with a plan to destroy you know with a satellite with a laser when it could have been so much better if it was just about you know, Scaramanga and Bond one-on-one. Well, I think that's an interesting point, actually. I mean, I love The Man with the Golden Gun. I, mm. I think it, it's got everything you want in a Bond film. But I think, like, the really special films are the ones that break away from what the Bond formula is, and they don't stick to that. Like, for me, you look at something like You Only Live Twice, and it's almost like they sort of remade Thunderball in a sense, because that was famously the, the formula they gave to Roald Dahl when they wrote the screenplay. Is okay, he's got to have two Bond girls, one who dies halfway through, and then one who joins in halfway through the movie and is with him to the end, and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, that's obviously the formula which they've yeah, used again and again. But it's those ones where they, they break away from that, like Chris mentioned earlier, from Rush With Love. Mm. Like That's more of like a Cold War thriller than, than anything. Sort of, you know, it's, it doesn't have that formula. Majesties is another example. Casino Royale is another example. Um, and it would be good to see Bond step away from that formula and do some, like, out-of-the-box stuff. Like, and, and that, I mean, the the the... the the idea of him going one-on-one against a villain who isn't perhaps some dude who's got a massive lair and his overarching plan and he just wants to kill Bond, I think would be well worth exploring, for sure. Interesting. Chris? Um, so I kind of, I can definitely see where Simon's coming from in terms of the man with the golden gun. I think it it can be, it's been seen as a weaker film by quite a lot. I can see how, I mean, there are certain things in it where I watch it and I kind of think, ah, oh, they could have done that bit better or, or so on. In, t- in terms of sort of the payoff with Scaramanga, it's difficult, isn't it? Because they've set up this fun house and everything, which to some extent I find quite interesting, but equally it, it, it's also quite limiting in a way as well, I find, because they've got the one shot and, and it's, it's a bit of a cat and mouse, but 
if if I I guess where you're coming from is if they had a, a bit where basically they were almost doing it um, one up over each other in different places all over the world, almost like they were mm. trying to track down each other. So Bond would hear that Scaramanga's in Macau, for instance, and he'd go there, and and there'd be some sort of little almost you know there would be a chase maybe, and one of them gets hurt, and then you know, have that kind of thing throughout the film where they both turn up at different places, you know, in different countries trying to get one another or something. That's definitely got room for that kind of storyline to happen in a future Bond, I think. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. one of my favourite Ridley Scott films is his first one, The Duelists. And I think that formula would work, it would work really well with Bond, with what you were saying of it being kind of, you know, this happening in different parts of the world, that Bond would be on a mission and it would be scuppered because of, um, like, Scaramanga. And it, 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 it suddenly is over the film that involves, the, the you know, either one of them trying to hunt the other one down yeah. and stopping them. And, you know, and just having that kind of, you know, final sort of showdown at the end, I think would have been so much better than what we got but then we have to think of it of the time they were dealing with a formula that worked and they kind of just added this little thing which on its own would have been much better than what the actual i think the film ultimately ended with yeah yeah i mean for for me for me and uh, i won't go into too much on this because we did do a um Mm. we did a uh, sir christopher lee tribute episode uh, yes. just after he died yes. and uh, which I encourage you guys and any other listeners that may still be with us um, <laughs> to, 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 to go back and listen to. And I talk, I talk about Octopussy in quite some detail about um, firsts and lasts for the, um, for the bomb franchise and, and why it's important because of that. But um, it, it is fair to say that for me until die another day, Octopus, um, uh, man, man with, with the golden gun, gun was, was probably uh my my least favorite uh, of the films um for, for various reasons but um uh i've completely lost my train of thought of what i was going <laughs> to point out shit i hate it when that happens um the, 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 there was a point leading on from what you were saying and i've lost it completely oh my god um, well i think one of the other reasons as well is is that roger moore really hadn't come into his own either i f- I think they were still trying to do the Sean Connery model, especially with how he treated some of the women in that film. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. that's, that's what that actually you've, you've reminded me of what my point I was going to make <laughs> was it, it, it is in, 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 in some respects with uh, man with a golden gun, they were trying to move back to some of the Connery things because in live and let die, which I know we all love. Mm. I know that's a great film, but in a, in live and let die, you know, that was quite a radical, radical change in so much that, um, Bond does not wear a tuxedo in, in, in live and let die. You know, this was the first man with the golden gun was the first film where Roger Moore wears, wears a tuxedo. Also, you know, he goes to ordering his, uh, medium dry vodka martini where he'd ordered a bourbon and done something different in, um, in live and let die so it was you're absolutely right it was a way of 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 coming back to some of the bond formula and 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 as you said bringing some of those connery elements in which uh, maud adams always kind of jokes when she's interviewed about how uncomfortable roger was with 
with actually twisting her arm and forcing to break her arm and, and, and you know, things of that nature. So um, it is an interesting film uh, in, in that regard, that it's kind of the first Roger Moore film where they sort of bought some of those, those Connery iconography elements mm. into it. Plus, of course, it was the first one with Roger Moore that was scored by John Barry. Yeah, that's true. I also felt. I just want to say. I also felt that they brought Maud Adams back to, for Octopussy as kind of an apology as well for the way she was treated in Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Sorry. sorry. I, I just wanted to say. I think. I think there's definitely a lot of good with the Man with the Golden Gun. Just just to sort of look at the other side of the coin, and I think. Christopher Lee himself is is superb, and I think the chemistry between him and Roger, mm. when they're having the dinner together, when they're in front of the kickboxing thing in Bangkok, they they play off each other, and I think that works really well. So although he's not, you know, and we know he's an assassin, and I think if that story was retold nowadays, it would be a bit more like the whole idea of chasing around the world and, and maybe doing stuff, something like that. Mm. And I think back in those days you know it, it it was a different time and everything but there's still that those great moments of of uh roger and, and christopher lee together in this film and and obviously mm. nick it's got a lot going for it i, mm. I do like it i kind of know where you're coming from from one aspect but it but equally i think it has got a lot of good good points as well um that film but then like we always say it is each your own and it's all subjective and uh and everything like that isn't it yeah, well, I mean, Christopher Lee is great in it, and it's not know? a die. Yeah. And it's not die another day. <laughs> it's definitely not a die another day. No, definitely not. That that is so true. Um, Chris, I was going to ask you. You you were going to, and I think I know where you might go with this. You were going to select another possible heaven. What was that going to be? Um. Okay. Now that's interesting. Okay, so it can't be Majesties, and it can't be um, obviously Casino. So it would it would have to be an early Sean. Um, and it might oh, okay. actually, yeah, it might actually be. I it always changes between Russia, Goldfinger, and Thunderball for me in terms of that, yeah. those three. And I love them all. I really do. Oh, I, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's always changing for me. I mean, years ago, I, I would have probably said hands down Goldfinger yeah. but nowadays uh, yeah I'm not so sure about that so you, you, you know though I still love it obviously um, but yeah it's, it's always hard to decide but uh, yeah. but for some reason I thought I don't know why I thought you were going to say Octopussy that, that's, that's what I thought he was yeah. going to say and, yeah. and, and, the, and the reason I mean Octopussy's got a special place in my heart because yeah. Octopussy was the first James Bond film that I saw on VHS video Essentially, up until that point, I'd seen them all on or, or you know, when they'd come out on, on television. So yeah. this was the first time where I was able to actually watch it without any commercial breaks, for one thing, but also able to rewind it and watch it again immediately <laughs> afterwards, which I thought was amazing. So Octopussy, for me, I know a lot of people slag it, but it yeah. actually has a really special place in my heart. And I think it's so entertaining and watchable. I so, mean, um, yeah, I, 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 it 
but without a doubt, it would be my top five, definitely. And and like with the other films, it does chop and change now and again. And for me, it is my favourite Roger film. I do like Live and Let Die, and I love Spy as well. But um, I think I just find it. <laughs> I, I, well, I love them all. It's difficult. Isn't it? it's difficult. You're like me. Yeah. You are so like me. It's unreal. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, Tom and I were saying the other day how you know, of, same with you guys. We'll get asked to rank and do all this, rank all oh. the films, do all this, and we try it ourselves. And you know, sometimes we'll, we'll be able to do it, but it's we've we kind of came to the conclusion that ranking them doesn't really bring anything. It's it's how much do you enjoy a film? How you know, does this film entertain you? And yeah. are you interested in watching it again? And that's more important than what place on the list does it come? That really doesn't, it's a moot point. You can put, you know, you'll have a handful, which is always going to be the near the top, and you'll have one particular one, I'd imagine, that's at the bottom. And then everything in between, it depends on your mood. And, yeah. and at whatever time you're in the mood to watch that particular film, you know, you're going to enjoy it, aren't you? And that's yeah, what, and where, that, you, where you were when you saw it and all that sort of stuff. Like, I, I get asked all the time when people find out I'm a film guy, they always say, and I hate the question, so what's your favourite movie of all time? And, yeah. you know, that is, I always say that's impossible to answer because there are so many for so many different reasons. You know, it's just impossible. And and like you said, it changes. It changes over the years. You know, you 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 never kind of fall out of love with films that you like, but at the same time, you discover new things and think, well, that's interesting, you know. So, yeah, it's a tough. Tricky one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, I've, I've actually got a quick question for all three of you. Um, now, Tom, you haven't heard this either, but I've read, I think it might have been on one of our Twitter posts or something like that. Someone posed a question. What would what would we think of a Bond film that was entirely contained in one location? For instance, a Die Hard one is pretty much all set within that main building, obviously, aside from a couple of little scenes. Could a Bond film ever do that and make it work? And would you want to see it? I think, yeah, I think, like, what I was just saying just now about stepping away from the formula. Like, I feel exactly. like there's some, mm. there's some people's idea of a Bond film is, right, okay, let's trot out this sequence of scenes. We're going to have this little action sequence at the beginning with the gun barrel. Then we're going to have this song. Then Bond's going to go into M's office and he's going to get his orders and then he's going to go and find out. And then there's going to be a set piece and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, I mean, I loved seeing that inspector because we haven't seen that for so long. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it was like, it was time to, to bring Daniel's Bond to the point where he's become that classic Bond. So that's great. Very, very happy with that. But I think you, there is room for Bond films that just don't do that. And that's why I love Casino so much, is, is that it didn't stick to that formula. And there was stuff that happened that was so unexpected. And like, I mean, even the scene when he gets poisoned and he's like stumbling into the bathroom and he's like puking. It's like, when have you ever seen Bond in that state before? Where he's, he's literally puking into a sink. That's just never happened. And it's like... The, Beginning of Die Another Day. <laughs> well, there you go. All right. Good call. I needed you to step in there because I can't remember that scene, obviously. Good work. But like, so there's that. Great. Good stuff. Um, so there's that. But, and I think there's there's absolutely room. Like, I, w I would... I would be intrigued to see it. I'd be intrigued to see like what Quentin Tarantino would do with Bond because he would do something completely different. And I think mm. there's room to like explore that stuff man i would i would dig, i mean i wonder what a, a bond slash diehard would be like and i would want to see that for sure what about you guys um Simon? i it, it's interesting because it's the the one thing about the the bond films that's always been a staple of it is the whole sort of globe trotting 
And so for it to be in one place for the whole film, I, it, it's interesting. I think it really would have to be done very well. Yeah. I think it would, I mean, it would, yeah, I mean, that kind of possibly like a diehard scenario or something like that, you know, like being like a one-man army or something. But then it, it's just that, there's always that been that element of globe-tropping trotting in uh james bond and i wonder if you take that out of it if it would affect you know the the, the film it, you know that the whole feel of a bond film yeah no i think mm. i think you're right i think it's almost could be like um if it were, if there was a tv serialization of bond that could be an episode sort of thing mm. um but in terms of natural film it would need to be incredibly skilled and have an amazing storyline to even remotely work in that sort of scenario i just thought it was an interesting question because i'd never even considered mm. it myself before but um yeah no i mean it, it is interesting but i mean like it, even even the point tom made about how um you, you know casino uh royale didn't necessarily follow the formula quite as strictly but even 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 with that, we still had that element, like Simon was saying, of globe trotting and, you know, international travel and exotic locations, you know, which has always been a Bond thing. And of course, casinos. Um, I mean, maybe maybe it would be interesting if he was sort of uh, trapped in a, in, in, in a large casino or something <laughs> for a movie and, 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 had to, and had to, you know, and then it turned into sort of die hard in a casino yeah. or something. With, yeah, uh, a I casino mean, would, on a plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it would depend on, on what actors play in Bond as yeah. well as, as to who could pull this off. But, I mean, the interesting thing you mentioned about what Quentin Tarantino would do, I mean, um, what, what I think was interesting is he, he wanted to actually, you know, base Bond in the 50s and have him you know, uh, driving a Bentley and carrying a Beretta and really going back to that, you, you know, early Ian Fleming stuff before the films had been produced. And, um, you, you know, you know, taking Bond and actually, you know, putting him, obviously they always, they always re, renew Bond and make him contemporary every time they sort of change the actor or indeed reboot it. But, um, you, you, you know, maybe, maybe if, if they did something where they, you know, Put, put him in a, a, a different time period, you know, like a, uh, you know, a Cold War, well, back to the Cold War period or or indeed had him, you, you know, restricted to something that's still familiar Bond, like a casino, but those are the boundaries. Then that could be, that could potentially be quite interesting and also not moving away too much from Fleming because of course you know as we all know Casino Royale in terms of the original story was more or less entirely in the casino wasn't it I think to it to, I'm not I'm not I'm not an aficionado on the books in, as so much as the movies but I believe um it was more contained is that right guys yeah yeah but how was, about yeah. this how about this for an idea Bond was stuck for the whole film on Scaramanga's Island Hey, there you go. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> yeah. he, he, got the location. Yeah. He'd just find out where Goodnight is and, and spend two hours there and then five minutes after Scaramanga or something. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't worry, she'll get her turn. <laughs> I love that. That's so cracky. So, so when you watch it nowadays, that's so un-PC. You don't worry, you'll get your turn. And everything else warm. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, love it. Uh, 
Oh, we love it. I mean, we are just, uh, well, you proved it. You guys have got, I, I don't know how many episodes you said you're up to now, but I feel like we just scratched the there, there you go. And we've just, yeah. I feel like we've just scratched the surface with mm. this. With, with, oh, good on. But it's been really, um, tell us, I mean, obviously this, this, we're at year end here, which is why we wanted to do something special for our movie heaven, movie hell listeners by having you guys on. Um, what are your what what's JBR and, and Tom and Chris's plans for 2017? Um, we are basically going to be hanging outside Daniel Craig's house and just wait <laughs> until he comes out and then try and grab him from an interview. That's about as far as it goes. We haven't thought any further than that, have we, Chris? Well, I might parachute <laughs> into his back garden and do it that way. If you come in the front door, then then we've got him cornered. So. Sweet. I think he'd love that, though. Don't you, Chris? I think oh, he'd yeah. really respond well to that. Yeah. yeah. He'd invite us in for a cup of tea and uh, yeah, and then introduce us. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. yeah no, so I mean, got... obviously it's more of the same. Really, basically we've we've just kind of expanded things a little bit. We've we've had Warren Ringham from Q the Music. He's doing a monthly series on the music of Bond. So one episode a month he does, where he's done some great stuff. Like the last episode he did was a deep dive on the history of the James Bond theme, which is just like he really wanted to make that definitive place to go to to read about that or sort of not read about it obviously to listen to um and that's one of like the downloads on that is through the roof like that's been a really popular episode uh, and then we have another fellow called dan gale who's just a genius with editing who's doing like a series of audio documentaries uh, and the, the first one's already out called tape secret you can get yeah I, I, li- I listened to that one because that's about the the history of bond on sort of audio books yeah right and audio adventures and um yeah, I mean, he's very, very creative because I like the Amazing. fact it actually yeah. kind of starts like a Bond movie episode. And yeah. I guess he's he's filling in for Bond and then he's used sound bites of, of uh, yeah. M mean, and Money Penny and stuff. But it's scene, really good. <laughs> I mean, dude, that, what he did with that was such a work of genius because like the, the, the episode starts with the Bond theme, like a gun barrel. And then you hear him going into M's office and there's Bernard Lee talking to Dan as Bond. And what he's done is he's taken some clips of Bernard Lee that you recognize from, from Bond films, but he's also gone into Bernard Lee's other films. So he's having a conversation with M, but like he's, he's edited it and written it in such a way that it's like a new conversation with M that you've never heard before. Uh, it's such a genius way of doing things. And he's got a new episode that's going to be out on the 30th of December, um, which we're not going to say what it is yet, but we've just seen a five minute clip of it and he's like taking things to the next level. It's a video podcast. Um, and it's just like, it's going to blow. Well, that, that, that'll be out, out now. So, that'll be okay, out now. That's already out. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, no, which which is awesome, and and I mean the fact that you guys got—I have to say—I was massively jealous, but also massively impressed that you got um, Sir Roger Moore on for for an interview. I mean, that's like wow. Yeah. How did you? You know that that's amazing. And uh, I know he, he he spoke for about half an hour or so, didn't he? But yeah. That was that was very very gracious of him. I thought he was a lovely guy as well, wasn't he, Tom? He was he was really really nice. And and obviously, I think you you mentioned you heard the bit where we were beforehand and we were meant to sort of he was meant to be online at nine o'clock and it was nine o'clock and we we're like okay we'll give him five minutes and it was five past nine and we hadn't heard anything we we're like oh no what's going on maybe he's forgotten and all this and obviously it all worked out in the end but he was he was he was lovely to interview and really really down to earth well like no one has got a bad word to say about Roger and you and you can tell why just because you know he is just a lovely kind humble man and uh 
And so, I mean, that was, from our point of view, that's obviously our high point in terms of the interviews we've got. We've got quite a few good ones lined up already for next year, which we're really looking forward to. And, um, yeah, and we're also doing a bit of expansion. We're doing a few sort of tours. We I, I just did one a few weeks ago in London where we did a meet-up and we did a few sort of tours of different Bond locations in London, um, like, you know, the College of Arms and various pieces. And we did a, a, a boat ride down the Thames with... Um, Bond music sort of blaring at the same time, and that was amazing. That was really cool. So was we've the got the cigar a... girl there. Oh, the she, cigar well, girl was there. I, I'd be so jealous. I was. I, I was looking. She's beautiful, isn't she? <laughs> I was looking around for her, but I think she'd already flown off in a hot air balloon by that point. Oh, um, yeah, only to be blown up. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, <laughs> it's a shame. Um, so we've got a few a few more tours planned for, for 2017, which we're really looking forward to as well. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how, how next year, how sort of this coming year goes. Fantastic. Yeah. And is is there a way that you guys, uh, that people can follow you guys on like Twitter or Facebook? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, this is my job in the actual podcast. Itself, so <laughs> I, I should probably rock it out, shouldn't I, Chris? Um, yeah. You can, you can follow us on Facebook by typing James Bond Radio into the search box on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter, which is at James Bond Radio. You can come to jamesbondradio.com and join in the conversation and all the blog posts in the comment section. What else is there, Chris? iTunes. Get on iTunes. Type in James Bond Radio into the iTunes store search and you will find us. Make sure you subscribe and you can get every episode the moment it's released lovely stuff there it is cool oh wow Great. fantastic <laughs> <laughs> so just flipping the question then what about you guys where do you see movie heaven movie hell in in the coming year well um yes in fact thanks for li- lining us up for that, actually. <laughs> uh, we, we, we do there, there is going to be a slight um change uh moving into 2017 and it's it, it's it's only it, only, only really being because of uh, having to sort of fit this in with 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 day jobs, etc. But mm. um, we've been we've we've been fortunate enough to be sort of knocking one of these episodes out every single week. Um, but we're going to have to throttle back slightly. So we're still going to keep the format the same. We're still going through the A to Z of of, of directors. Um, but essentially, you'll be getting one director a month that will be doing uh movie heaven movie hell on and uh obviously an extra every month about something related to to to, to film or, or or to the particular director if possible yeah um, oh, oh, so- if, if if we're able to sort of get any specials and stuff as well i think it's hmm. uh i think the idea of doing one um um director of the AZ a month is is great and if we have time to sort of uh do other stuff around that then we'll we'll do that but uh yeah mm-hmm. we'll um as it just depends on our schedules because um you know Keith's got a full-time job and um I have work that comes up uh, periodically that when it turns up I say I can't do anything else <laughs> that just yeah. takes over my life and um because, well, and, and yeah. also we're trying to do our creative endeavors yes. as well yeah, yeah. On I, top I of mean that. I, I I can say here now to everybody that 
uh, my feature film, Modern Love, is going to be finished next year, 2017. Mm. It's going to nice. be finished. Woo-hoo. It's uh, bloody well it should be since I've been working on it since 2011. <laughs> <laughs> Will there be enough. any bikini-clad ladies coming out of the water in this film? Unfortunately, no. no. Oh, <laughs> I've, 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 lost, I've lost about three stone. <laughs> so I'm, a, I'm a different person now. <laughs> um, but but, but uh, the, the, other, the other thing yes. is as well, I mean, the, the, the good thing here is there's no end of of stuff we can talk about because we've got the uh you know directors globally from the history of cinema so uh we're not going to run out of of people to talk about it just takes us a little longer on the ones we're less familiar with it takes us a little bit longer to research some of their work and, and you know bring you something new and interesting uh to talk about but obviously yes in terms of special features and guests and and things of that nature we're working on that uh, i know this year because it was the um star trek 50th anniversary we had several episodes celebrating the star trek movies across the decades um next year it will be a 40th birthday of another sci-fi franchise which i'm sure uh, you guys can guess so i'm sure we'll have some some special episodes based around uh that also yes very nice yes (laughs) seeming seeming as another one of the films from the series has just come out indeed well actually i'm gutted because i can't go to the uh preview screening and q a because oh i get the violins out but i'm going to be in sardinia which of course i need to check out the bond location from um spy you love me right yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yes. get on that. Yeah, you've got the hotel that he's staying in. There's Robert Sterling, and where Naomi rocks up in the powerboat outside. There you go. I and need all to of check that it all out for sure. Yeah, do it. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, right. so yeah, but uh, you know, we 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 we've we've got more stuff moving forward. So we're not going anywhere. But there mm. might be a, a slight break. I mean, you, you guys before Roger came on, you you took a. Uh, was it like an eight week break or something that you, but, but yeah. you didn't lose so, anyone, did you? <laughs> no, no, it was, uh, it, it's, you have to do that from time to time. Cause I think we, the first time it really hit us was when we did 30 days of Spectre and we literally 30 <laughs> podcasts in 30 days. And by the end of it, it was just, so, and in the end that was actually more than 30 episodes. Cause we had loads of listener interviews on and the, like the last four or five days, we put out two episodes a day. And it was just like, I don't even want to think about Bond anymore. I don't, I don't want to look at Chris's face. I don't want to hear anybody talk about Bond. And, like, and so we, we took like all of January off. And then, yeah, every now and then, like last summer, we both were doing a bit of traveling and stuff. And it's like, you know what? You need to just recharge the batteries a bit and come back fresh. So, yeah, there's no harm in it, for sure. You've got to make time for traveling. That's very important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Well, um, Seriously, guys, thank you so much. I mean, it has been a real buzz to get you guys on on here. So, um, you know, really, really happy. Mm. Always happy to talk about Bond, whatever, but really happy to talk about people who are passionate and knowledgeable about Bond. Mm. So, you, you know, that that's uh, thank you so much for joining no us. No worries. It was yeah. a real pleasure. Yeah, thanks for inviting us on, guys. It's been great. No, it's great. I mean, I've really loved uh, geeking out with you guys about Bond and stuff. Yeah. 
So uh, let us uh, finish in our usual manner. Uh, you can listen to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell on iTunes, Stitcher, and all good podcast providers. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And uh, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. It all helps. There we go. Yes. <laughs> See, we always make sure they leave a five-star review. That's what we always say. We say, make sure you leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Well, we've been really <laughs> lucky that we've 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 got five-star reviews so far. But it's it's just nice that people Woo-hoo! takes the time and you know leave review you know reviews yeah. or ratings. It's uh, it, it does it's make a big difference. Too. Big difference. Yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> so, uh, thank you to you for listening, and uh, join us in the new year for the next episode of Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. Movie